Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. at 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Good morning, Michelle Smallman. Good morning, Randy Carriker. Are you excited about the Cardinals opening up on the 24th of this month, getting ready to play some ball? I have never been excited for a schedule release the way I was, was excited awesome. for the Cardinals schedule release last night. And they'll open up against the Pirates here in St. Louis on the 24th. And that game, I'm sure, will be televised on FS Midwest. And that'll be the first of 10 three-game series that they'll have. And the Cardinals have a pretty good schedule. I like the way that everything lines up for them. And I think the Cardinals should find themselves winning the Central Division. That's my prediction. They're certainly in a good position to do so, right? But we keep talking about how this is going to be a sprint, not a marathon. But then when you see the schedule release and you see how few days they have mm-hmm. off and you see exactly how they are piled back to back to back to back like that, it really puts into perspective what we've been talking about, about how these guys are going to have to be ready for a season unlike any other season they've ever had. And fortunately for the Cardinals, and I was kind of out of pocket yesterday, I'm sure they got a great practice in yesterday. And um, I'm sure that they'll... Randy, I know, yeah. you, I know you're out of pocket, but they didn't have a practice yesterday. Michelle, they had a scheduled practice. No, it didn't rain. It was nice here. Randy, test results. There were some issues with some test results throughout baseball yesterday. Oh, I thought that only applied to Washington. Mm, Not so much. (laughs) Kind of a baseball thing. The Cardinals did miss out on their practice yesterday because they didn't get their test results back because somebody in the major league office forgot to recognize that the 4th of July weekend was upon us. And... I didn't realize this, but FedEx doesn't deliver on the 4th of July weekend. The more you know, Randy. You know, (laughs) it's it's so nice that we, as a community, I mean us and Major League Baseball, are learning things together. It is. It's very nice to know that uh, as we approach the next pandemic, that uh, if you have to have issues on the 4th of July, if you have to have tests delivered, that you can't count on FedEx to do it over the 4th of July weekend. Or maybe, just maybe... If you're Major League Baseball, the next pandemic, you'll say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be shipping out our tests. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe we should install testing facilities at each organization's facility so that they can have a more immediate test results so that they're not waiting, I don't know, 48 to perhaps 72 hours to find out if they test positive for COVID. And the Cardinals do have a deal with Mercy Hospital where they can get instantaneous results. But you had a marketing idea. I think your idea makes the most sense. Get together with Walgreens. Why not? I mean, if you're a a baseball organization and you have not, the testers have not shown up and or you have not gotten your results after an entire weekend and you're trying to get out there and get ready for this season that's coming in the blink of an eye that you need to be ready for. All of these practices matter. All of these group activities, they matter. Summer summer Camp Randy brought to you. By Camping World. There you go. By the way, I love the Camping World on the schedule release. Like. We are pro camping world here on this show, <laughs> but if you're if you're a major league baseball organization and you're frustrated perhaps with the way baseball has set this up, you know what I would do is I would call up a Walgreens. I would say, hey, we've got the Cardinals here. We need to get them testing and we need to get results instantaneously because you can get them within an hour to two hours at a Walgreens. And you say, hey, 
I know that you have other people scheduled for a test. Call them, ask them if they wouldn't mind being bumped. And if so, we will give them, we will sign them a player, as you mentioned yeah. yesterday. You'll give them some sort of a swag bag. And then, boom, the Cardinals can go through the Walgreens. Imagine the great publicity they would get on both, on both sides. And you can get your test results and get back to practice. Right. And, and if you got bumped for Adam Wainwright, for example, your appointment at Walgreens was at 1030. And you get bumped for Adam Wainwright. You get in that swag bag an autographed Wayno jersey. And it doesn't cost the Cardinals much, and they get the deal with Walgreens. Walgreens gets the, the pub from it. Uh, the, the people that were scheduled, they can schedule for a later date, or Walgreens could automatically schedule them for a later date. We're thinking here. We are. At least somebody's thinking. Yeah. Now, John Mosellock, to his credit yesterday, when I said the same thing that I said to you, uh, I said... Wouldn't you think Major League Baseball's first order of business would be to make sure that even with the 4th of July weekend, that all the testing is taken care of before anything else, before you schedule practices, before you turn out a schedule? The first thing is the first, like Dick Vermeule used to say, the main thing is the main thing. And right now, the main thing is the pandemic. And to his credit... John Mozalek was much more restrained and patient than Mike Rizzo, who issued a scathing release on behalf of the Washington Nationals, who also had to practice yesterday. Did we already mention that the Cardinals are scheduled practice today, by the way? Well, you should know that, that the Cardinals are going to practice uh, this morning at the ballpark. So they got their test results back and they're going to be good to go. But Jeff Passan of ESPN, uh, a lot of people have been talking about the opt-outs and players and coaches being uncomfortable, and the Cardinal players and coaches certainly were uncomfortable, but John Mozilla said not to the point where they would opt out, but Jeff Passan says that's not the case across Major League Baseball. And whether it is David Price, Nick Markakis, Ian Desmond, Mike Leake, we've got guys who have been around here, who have reached free agency, who don't need the service time that they will be losing by skipping the 2020 season. And that's the imperative part of this whole thing that clubs are really trying to take a look at. Once somebody with fewer than six years service, you've seen it once with Joe Ross, but once somebody else and a deluge of people with fewer than six years of service service, start opting out. That's when I think teams will start being concerned. As of right now, though, we just haven't seen that in terms of the opt-outs yet, and it'll surprise me if we do it all. I would be surprised, too, because if you have less than six years of service time, you're giving up a year of free agency. Because if you opt out this year without any underlying symptoms, underlying conditions, then you would lose that year of service time, which gets you to free agency later. So I, I would be really surprised if a less than six-year player that doesn't have a long-term contract would opt out. Sure, but why even w- try to get to that point? Why even wait to get to that point? You have players coming out who, who are opting out, but, I mean, Chris Bryant came out yesterday with some pretty strong words about uh, the ineffectiveness of this protocol and this, this testing situation. And when you have a guy like Chris Bryant who's saying, I thought that I was coming into this because I was going to feel safe and I don't necessarily feel Mm -hmm. safe right now and this is a safety issue and baseball needs to figure this out while he's probably not going to opt out the longer this goes the more you have players like Chris Bryant or leaders of teams speaking out and saying this is kind of a cluster why why even get to that point why not take care of it in the beginning You, you would hope so but Mosellock's explanation was this is the first time that any of us have been through this. And uh, while I don't give baseball the benefit of the doubt in not recognizing the 4th of July weekend, I can understand that there are going to be some bumps in the road because this is new for everybody. And it's uh, there was no way to practice for this because it got 
to them in a hurry. They they approved their CB or their agreement on what Tuesday, and they decided they were going to be in camp on Friday. So it wasn't something where they really had an opportunity to plan. So uh, on one level, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Obviously, over the weekend, that's a problem. But I, I would guess that things will be a whole lot smoother by Friday than they were on Monday. I'm sure, and. That's why, as you said, Mo said it very eloquently and without anger. Mm -hmm. Because he's right. This is a new situation. We're all kind of dealing with this day to day. You know, something new happens every day that we're having to adjust to. But whether this is the situation or not, it all ties into the fact that it feels like Major League Baseball put more of an emphasis on money and fighting over money than they did over ironing out the health and safety protocols that are needed that are, as you said, the main thing for this to be executed in a safe manner and to keep these players and everyone involved in this situation safe. And I would just like to think, Randy, that somebody, maybe somebody involved in this entire chain of testing would say, hey, what about FedEx on a holiday weekend? Yeah, right. That somebody would have thought about the shipping of the tests. Seems logical. Seems logical. And even as we talked about this yesterday when it broke, when, when we had Danny Mack coming in here, You think that somebody involved in this would have said, is it really the best idea for us to be shipping the results and not getting them back for 24 to 48 hours when if, in fact, someone does test positive, they could have been exposed to a number of their teammates and be unaware of it for up to two days? How it's just very frustrating that you have a lot of people making a lot of money and that these things weren't really, really carefully ironed out and thought out about before we entered this situation or Mark, this phase of yeah. this. Mark Teixeira made more than $200 million in Major League Baseball and to me has really become on ESPN a voice of reason and a bo- voice of both sides. Here's Teixeira on the situation. We should have been having more conversations about the safety of players and staff while we were bickering about dollars and cents and labor. And, and unfortunately, now that we got through the dollars and cents and we agreed on a 60-game season, it's almost like we're trying to play catch-up with this testing and figuring out how to pull off a season. And hopefully they won't reach a point where there are too many players that do test positive that they'll have to delay or cancel the season. That would be the worst thing that could happen. That's where my anger and <clears throat> excuse me, frustration comes in. Because I look at it from a selfish standpoint. I miss baseball. I want to watch the Cardinals play baseball. And to think that we've gotten to this point and that we are so close. We're, on the, we're in the month, Randy. We've made it to the month where Cardinals baseball would come back. <clears throat> and to think that that could be stopped or paused or in any way disrupted because people were more concerned about money and that they weren't concerned about the health and safety of players in a pandemic Mm -hmm. is frustrating to think that that could be what stops this. And hockey isn't in such a rush, but they have reached agreement on a new four-year CBA, a collective bargaining agreement. Teams will depart for their hub cities on July 26th after, after starting camp on Friday. About half the teams in the league have tested half the players in the league. All the teams have tested half the players in the league. And they're at about 6% for testing positive. It's 23 players that have tested positive to this point out of those.
those that have been tested, a little under 6%. And hockey will have that opportunity during training camps locally before they go to the hub cities to work through all the quarantines and make sure that everybody, when they hop on that plane for Edmonton or Toronto, if they're an Eastern Conference team, is negative and good to go. And isn't that so great? That we could have these conversations and know that they, that it seems like they're discussing this and that they're taking their time and being very cautious with this situation. And I think it's interesting that they're being cautious with the, the information that's revealed to the public. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if they looked at baseball and said, hey, let's not be that. Right. And like Mark Teixeira said, baseball could have gotten a lot more done, even with a week, if they would have just said, look, we're playing 60, this is the way it's going to be, and the players would have accepted 60, and the owners would have said, but we need a week to get ready for all of these protocols. If they would have just saved themselves a week, they would have been a lot better off. Because at every step here, since they really closed training camp down, remember, they announced they were closing spring training and the Cardinals were still playing. And they they kept playing that entire game. From that point on, baseball has looked pretty incompetent in the way that they've tried to handle the pandemic. Uh, Speaking of, we just, you probably got the same text message. Uh, The Cardinals workouts have been delayed today. There you go. Maybe they didn't get their real uh, tests back, test results back. That's not good. So hopefully they get them back. Kind of a cluster as we call it. Not a cluster across the state in Kansas City where Patrick Mahomes has a half a billion dollars to play with over the course of the next 10 years. Good for him. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, do you think that Patrick Mahomes is having a good morning? I think he's going to have a good morning for the next 10 years, Randy. <laughs> a 10-year deal worth $450 million to stay a member of the Chiefs. And by the way, it's a 10-year extension, so he's with the Chiefs for 12 more years. The deal could be worth up to $503 million. And if that sounds high, it's because it is. Here's Adam Schefter of ESPN. It is a 10-year deal, a 10-year extension, worth $450 million in the extension. The injury guarantee is $140 million. And so the 10 years and 450 combined with the two years he had remaining on the deal at $27.6 million bring the total value of the contract to about $476 million.6, if we're going to add that on at that point in time. And the bottom line to this whole contract is, Kevin, it now becomes not just the richest contract in NFL history, but the richest contract in sports history, beating the deal that the Angels gave Mike Trout, again, a 10-year extension worth $450 million, an average of $45 million per year, huge numbers. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes under contract through the age 37. He's got the security he wants. They have the player, the best player in football, under contract for the next 12 years, and both sides can go forward with a relationship that has worked out very well. Michelle, think about this, of how outraged a lot of people around the NFL were 10 years ago when Sam Bradford became the highest paid quarterback as a rookie. He got $50 million guaranteed and $78 million. He, he got $50 million guaranteed. Patrick Mahomes is going to get $45 million a year. But Sam Bradford had him play a snap yeah. and was an unproven commodity. And Patrick Mahomes at age 24 
coming off an unbelievable season. Oh, and the first Chiefs Super Bowl victory in 50 years. This is a this is almost a bargain for the Chiefs in a lot of ways. He is he is not only a proven commodity, he's as sure of a thing as there's going to be in professional sports at his current age. I would argue that because they have that Super Bowl win and the circumstances under which they won, just like the Blues, first time in 50 years, I would argue that that deal is always going to be worth it. For the next 12 years, because Patrick Mahomes led them to a Super Bowl and was a Super Bowl MVP, I believe that they can't go wrong with this deal. And I think that the Chiefs, with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, will kind of be like the Packers were with Brett Favre or the Packers with Aaron Rodgers because of his unique abilities, his escape ability, his arm, his ability to play off script, as coaches would say. Every time you go into a game when he's your quarterback, doesn't matter who your other players are, you can have a bad defense, you can have a bad offensive line, you can have bad receivers, and that guy gives you a 50-50 chance of winning the game just because he's so good. And if you're the Chiefs, that's something you're willing to pay for, a 50-50 chance Mm -hmm. to win any game based based on one player. And I know it's unrealistic to put these expectations, these Super Bowl expectations on uh, Patrick Mahomes because it is a team sport. But based on what we have seen of him and knowing that he's going to be with Andy Reid for basically the majority of this contract, one would think, right, that you're pairing an amazing coach with an amazing player and knowing that he's going to give you that chance to win and to think about how much this is, has already elevated the Chiefs franchise. You know, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick is the closest thing to com- comparably. And while I don't want to put them in the same conversation as far as Super Bowl wins, because that's unrealistic, when I look at Brady and Belichick, think about how just having those two guys mm-hmm. in your organization made the Patriots great and made them better. Think about all the players that would want to go play there because of Belichick and because of Brady. That would take less money to go play for those guys. Think about uh, a free agent looking at Kansas City saying, oh, they've got Andy Oh, and Patrick Mahomes is going to be there for 10 years. I'll take less money because I know if I go into that organization, I have a great chance to win. And they'll have to take less money. And this has happened to multiple organizations. It happened in New Orleans with Breeze. It happened to the Packers with Rodgers. You aren't able to keep everybody. And one person, when one person is taking up such a high percentage of that salary cap, then players have to want to play there for less or you're going to have to draft exceptionally well. And that's going to happen. They're going to lose Chris Jones. The, the Chiefs aren't going to be able to keep him around. They aren't going to be able to keep all of those receivers. I, I'm interested to see what happens with Travis Kelsey now. Are they going to be able to keep him? And I know they've got Kelsey and Hill for the next few years. But are they going to be able to keep those guys, build an offensive line, and then have a representative enough defense so that they can play? By the way, I looked it up. It was Manning. Peyton Manning was the highest paid quarterback 10 years ago. He was making 15.8. So the highest paid player and the highest paid quarterback salary has basically tripled in the last decade. And earlier today, Tim Hasselbeck was on with uh, uh, Mike Golick and Trey Wingo and said he was disappointed that Mahomes had signed for such a long time because he he pointed that out 10 years ago. He said, what's it going to look like in 10 years? Gosh, who knows, right? But if you're Patrick Mahomes, don't you want to not have to deal with it? You're looking yeah. at the sum of money that you're getting. It's, this doesn't even include endorsement deals. And if this is a place you want to be, if this is a coach you want to play for, why not just say, hey, give me the money. That way I can build my career here and not have to worry about it. If this is the security that he wants and where he wants to be, it's mutually beneficial for both parties to get it done at, at this point. And even though you mentioned all those questions about how are they going to build around and what happens with Travis Kelsey, et cetera, 
I still think this is a no-brainer deal for the Chiefs. And it's interesting to think that uh, a franchise quarterback could get paid this much money, and it is a shocking amount of money, Mm -hmm. and that it's universally looked at as a great deal. It is a great deal for both sides. And here's the great thing. And for all of our disdain for the NFL, they did have the foresight when they started free agency in 1993. And actually, this started back in 1960 when Wellington Mayor, the owner of the Giants, agreed to across-the-board revenue sharing. So every team makes essentially the same amount of money. In baseball, if the Royals had the best player, there's no way that they would be able to keep him. In football, because you have revenue sharing across the board, the Chiefs in the market that they're in, a smaller market than St. Louis, are able to pay Patrick Mahomes just as much as the Rams or the Giants Mm -hmm. or the Bears would be able to. That's the wonder of the NFL, that everybody has a chance to win because everybody is making essentially the same and spending essentially the same. And you've got to love that, especially as we sit here in Missouri. So wait, I know we don't like the NFL, but the Chiefs are kind of our adopted team now. They are, yeah. So congrats to us then that we have secured Patrick Mahomes for 10 years because we get to talk about him for 10 years. A little over a year ago, who was sitting over at Enterprise Center watching the Blues in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Wearing a blue sweater. Yep. That's right. That was Patrick Mahomes. That was Patrick Mahomes. So it's pretty cool. And I like seeing those big deals. And it is remarkable that somebody has already eclipsed the Mike Trout deal. It is. and But when you think about it, a franchise quarterback is the most valuable currency in all sports for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, when you look at his skill set and his age, there's not one question mark about him. No. Not on the field, not off the field. He has star power. He's got this, this amazing cocktail of being the best player in the league and being an absolute star, but also seemingly very normal and very likable. He's perfect for that organization. Absolutely perfect for them. So whatever check they were going to write, it's probably not enough when you think about the financial impact that he's had on that organization and that he will have over the next 10 years. And on the community. Here's a guy that walks into a restaurant during the playoffs, by the way. Uh, It's supposed to be a pressurized time. And buys dinner for everybody that's in the restaurant. Just that kind of guy. And says, thanks for letting me enjoy my meal. Right. Yeah, he, he's terrific. And I'm, I'm really happy for him. And Chiefs fans across the board, obviously, Brad Barnes is, and, and BK are oh, both yeah. uh, big Chiefs fans, so they're happy this morning as well, but not as happy as he is. $503 million if everything plays out the way he wants it to. And he could still be potentially in his prime. Yeah. In his mid to late 30s. And there are outs in the contract, too. If certain guarantee mechanisms aren't met and things don't work out in Kansas City, it could be a situation where in at the age of 31, 30, that he's out there as a free agent. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. It is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, if college football decides to move their season to the spring, should the big-time players even play? It's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle, ever since Trevor Lawrence was a freshman at Clemson and won the national championship, replacing Kelly Bryant during the regular season and then beating Alabama in the national championship game, he, Lawrence, has been regarded as the top pick in the 2021 draft. Well, now with coronavirus and the global pandemic that we are dealing with, 
there is a very good chance that college football will play in the spring. The Ivy League is already talking about that. As a matter of fact, the Ivy League schools aren't even going to have play, uh, students on campus during the fall. So if you're going to have students on campus, why have football players practicing football, right? I don't know how you can rationally explain that to people. No. Hey, we're going to have teleclasses for the entire semester because it's not safe for students to be in close proximity to each other, but we're going to have this group of of student athletes practicing with each other and living on campus, etc. I don't know how you how you make that argument. So if the Power Five conferences would decide to move to the spring and hope that the coronavirus is not as much of an issue if they would start next February or March and the NFL draft is in April. You're Trevor Lawrence and you're projected to be the number one pick. Why would you play so close to the draft? What what would the positive be of playing for Clemson in a spring football season? I don't think there is a positive for him. From a business standpoint, there's not. If you're just, hey, I love my team, I love my teammates, I love football, I'm a competitor, I I want to play, you know, despite all of the negatives that lay before me from a business and a career standpoint, then yes, of course, he can bring bring those points up. If I'm his agent, if I'm his family, if I'm anyone in his close circle of advisors, I'm saying to him, you've already proven everything that you need to prove. Why risk getting injured and potentially disrupting your future for a, a situation where it's not going to benefit you? And I think it's different if, he, if there is a fall season because that would be a full year mm-hmm. without playing. And it does give him an opportunity, A, to enhance his college football legacy, but B for somebody else to not pass him up. I don't think that in a falls or in a spring season that the way the sport would be played, that there would be a chance for somebody in college football to pass him up and ascend to the number one spot in the draft. I think that could happen during the course of a normal fall season where you have eleven games. But if I were him, and I very rarely say a player shouldn't play. But if they're playing a spring season, I wouldn't play if I were Trevor Lawrence or any college senior, by the way, any college senior that expects to go in the first round of the draft. No, because you're you're not only risking injury, which is first and foremost, you want to protect yourself from a physical standpoint. When you think about all of the different factors that are going to lay before you as a college football player in the spring, if you were to go out there and not be as great as expected, it's totally understandable given yeah. all of the circumstances. But why even put yourself in that position to have to explain why you may not have, have played as well because of all, all of the chaos going on around you? Or why even put yourself in a position to where you could potentially contract the virus and get sick? And I know younger people are recovering at a faster pace and it's not affecting them in the same way. But what if it does? What if it in some way... Uh, a star player were to contract the virus and they would have respiratory issues and mm-hmm. then teams would have questions. How long is this going to take you to heal? What kind of long-term effects could this potentially have? Why even put any of those questions out there? And right now in Florida, the majority, the majority of people that are contracting the coronavirus are 21 years old. Uh, so it is affecting young people. And that's another good reason to do it because you just, you don't know what the future holds. And my observation is, and I hope I'm wrong, that by the time we get to 2021, January of 2021, and we're hoping Broadway comes back and sports is normal, 
But it sure doesn't seem like the projections lead me to believe, at least, that we're going to be back to normal by early next year. I think that's wishful thinking. I like to do positive programming, so let's just, Mm -hmm. you know, say, hey, here's hoping. But based on our very limited sample size of how this has changed so much, the evolution of of how this is going, I don't I don't know if we see society back and sports back the way we want it to be by that time period. And as we try to bring sports back just now in 2020, down in Orlando, you've got MLS and FC Dallas because of 10 separate COVID-19 positive tests has had to withdraw from the MLS tournament. They're getting their season back underway and they're going to play, but they're just going to do it without the Dallas team that um, flew down to Orlando and just was loaded with positive tests. Which I think is the right decision. It's upsetting for a lot of people, but how, how again, how are you going to rationally do this? How would you rationally try to say, hey, we have 10 people testing mm-hmm. positive, but we're going to figure out a way to play. You can't do that. So if it is half your team, and I think this is one of the reasons that baseball went to 60 players, having that 60-player pool, so that you could literally lose half of a 20, 25-man roster and have enough players. You don't have enough soccer players to do that. You don't have a farm system. You don't have enough guys. But my belief is, is that baseball was not planning on this, but protecting themselves against the possibility of losing 12 players. Well, I wish that they would have protected themselves against these testing malfunctions, no? Yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> that would have been nice. Yeah. But bringing it back to college football, I, I still don't envision a scenario where college football is able to go off without a hitch. We, we've seen a lot of young people testing positive. We know that if even in the springtime, if college athletes are brought back to campus, we can't. It's unrealistic to think that these young men and women that are collegiate athletes are going to alter their lives so significantly and not feel untouchable that they wouldn't be going out to parties or going out to bars or perhaps taking this a little less seriously. And it's just the nature of your life when you're in that stage of life. And then compound that with being a collegiate athlete, being in great shape and Mm -hmm. essentially having a lot of things in life handled for you. You have a different mindset. So I, I, we've seen... collegiate football teams get together for practices. We've seen a lot of people testing positive. I don't know how they expect this to go off without seeing an outbreak of of positive tests. And like Gabe DeArmond told us yesterday, and he's exactly right, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out, but Gabe is. Mm -hmm. But college students are going to be college students. And there's a level of invincibility that all of us have while we're in college, and especially college athletes, because they've never had any physical adversity. They're in great shape, and they, they hit each other, and they most of them have never suffered a serious injury. If you have a, a team of 105 players, you might have four or five that have had a serious injury, but the majority have never had to deal with any physical adversity at all. So I'm sure they're saying to themselves, why not? Well, it's not going to get me. Nothing else has gotten me, and I'm a football player. So that's one of the things that college football, I I think, would have to concern itself with. And it's going to be very hard to contain that many young people and that much testosterone. Without a doubt. Randy, let's say you're a head coach. Let's say you're Dabo. Okay. Trevor Lawrence comes to you and says, Coach, should I play spring football? Should I play? What do you say as the coach? Because it's beneficial for you if he plays but also you have to protect your player and you think about the legacy of your school if he goes in the draft in a certain position, right? This is me taking the approach of Calipari or Coach K. 
no, the, you have nothing else to prove here. You go pro and we'll be fine. We've recruited a lot of five-star guys. We'll be fine playing our season. But my job as a head coach when you got here is to act as your surrogate father, your second father, and to do what's best for you. What's best for you is to prepare for the NFL draft. Randy, you would be a great head coach. Thank you. I think you'd be great in the room. You like think? you'd be good on the on the couch with the oh, parents. I nice, think you'd nice be great. window dressing. Yeah, see. <laughs> oh my gosh, this soup, amazing! Thank you so much. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Coming up, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero Tioli. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it. Or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson is our outstanding producer, and he's spinning the dials for us this morning here on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's time for Teoli. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We'd love to hear from you. And Tanner has your Teolis for us. Take it away, sir. So we've been talking about Patrick Mahomes' mega contract extension all morning. Take it or leave it. We won't see a contract like Mahomes for another 25 years. I'm going to leave that because there will be a next guy. And maybe it'll be Trevor Lawrence, but there'll be, and maybe it'll be Lamar Jackson. Oh. But uh, there, there will be a next guy. There has to be that becomes the highest paid player in NFL history. It happens every year. So Lamar Jackson, electric, dynamic player. Certainly, Have you ever seen an old running quarterback is what you're thinking? Gonna, I was just going to say, Randy, <laughs> but the, the way that he plays the game, I would not be as confident Giving him the Patrick Mahomes deal as I would Patrick Mahomes, obviously. No, I wouldn't either. And there are, heck, there are no quarterbacks that I would feel, feel comfortable, even Mahomes, giving a 10-year contract to. But somebody's going to get more money than Mahomes is because Mahomes has set the standard. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be Jordan Love. Somebody like that. Oh, that's bold. Yeah. That's not <laughs> about that. You like that? I'm going to leave that one, Randy. But you never know. Hey, hey, we never thought Aaron Rodgers would be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL when he was taken at 24. That's true. So sticking with Patrick Mahomes, take it or leave it, this contract will be worth it only if he wins at least three Super Bowls and three MVPs. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it, too. I think it's already worth it because Me they too. won one. And to your the point that you made when we had the segment... He puts you in a chance to win every game. And that's more than you can say for almost any player out there. And I think Brady Belichick is such an outlier that they have set an unrealistic standard Mm -hmm. of what it means to win. Because look at how many great quarterbacks have gotten one and maybe haven't even gotten a chance to get a second one. And while I think given Mahomes' age, his skill set, and the fact that he has Andy Reid coaching him, that he's certainly in a position to win more than one, I I would be willing to bet that in that span he wins one more, at least one more. But more than that, and even that's going to be a difficult task. It's really difficult to win in the NFL. Uh, But given his age, the fact that he hasn't had any major injuries yet, uh, just all the factors that lie before him, I would be... I would be comfortable betting one more, but anything more than that, no. And but, here's 
but it's already worth it. The, the, the way to look at this, and I hate to do this to Michelle. Oh, I know where you're going, Randy. I, I was watching a documentary on the 1984 NFL season last night, and mm-hmm. Dan Marino said, I took it for granted. I figured we were going to get back to the Super Bowl all the time. Mm-hmm. He went to that one Super Bowl in his second season and then never again. And he had the great coach, but he had no run game, Randy. Well, there's no guarantee that Mahomes is going to have a run game. I know, I know. And actually, I remember Damn. interviewing Kurt Warner the morning before Super Bowl 36, that, that Saturday morning. And we were talking about Super Bowls, and he had already won one. He said, yeah, I think I'm going to win five. Wow. And he got to three, mm-hmm. but only won the one. But when he said that, he was probably thinking greatest show on turf dynasty. Exactly, right. And I'm sure that's what people in Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes are thinking right now. Gosh, yeah, and that's only a player. That's mm-hmm. part of the equation, a big part of the equation, a huge part of the puzzle for looking at pieces, but not the complete puzzle. And gosh, yeah, we know it better than anybody here in St. Louis to think of all those pieces that that Rams team had and to think about how quickly it dissipated. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Sad. It really is. That is such a bummer. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals pitching staff this year will be tops in the league in ERA. I'm going to leave it simply because I'm going to I'm going to take the field and the Dodgers are really, really good. And the Dodgers seem to lead the league in ERA every year and they've got a good pitcher's ballpark. And I've got the rest of the field. Cincinnati has a good staff. Mm-hmm. If the Cubs are healthy, the Cubs could be right there in the mix. So I'm going to leave it only because of the rest of the field. But I would take it that the Cardinals will be top four. Top four is good. Um, I think that they have a chance to do mm-hmm. that. They have great arms. They have a great depth uh, of arms. But, yeah, just from a from a pure wagering standpoint, I'm going to leave it. Especially because sitting here today, too, we don't even necessarily know what the rotation is going to look like right. right now. Yeah, or if they're going to play. Yeah. Randy, I don't even want to put that in the universe. I think they already did for us. I know. I mean, here we are sitting here. No practice yesterday. Practice delayed today. We don't have the test results. It's just, And to think that the test results they're going to get potentially today are from Friday. Yeah. And over a holiday weekend, how many people that they've potentially come into contact with and how they would need brand new testing today even to start over. It's just outrageous. They'll play. The Cardinals will open on the 24th. Ease your mind. They'll be fine. You think You think that they're going to get through a month? Yes, I oh, do. Okay. You think they're going to get through the whole season? I think they'll be better in at the end of this month than they are right now. Learn on the fly? Yep. And I, I think the Cardinals can make it through the season. I don't know about the rest of baseball, but I think the Cardinals have enough leadership and enough maturity so that the, the immature players will be held in check by the mature players. I think that that is a great take, Randy. The Cardinals do have great leadership, um, not only within the coaching staff and in the organization, but within the players mm-hmm. themselves. I think that they're in a great position to self-police. However, I don't think the virus goes around to different clubhouses and they say, well, there's good leadership in that Cardinals clubhouse, so no. I'm going to avoid them. I, I think that that's the problem is that you can take every precaution necessary and still get the virus. That's true. It's Look happened. at Freddie Freeman. Right. He was saying, I hadn't even gone to the grocery store. I hadn't really left the house. I had been taking this so seriously and I got it and it's really impacted him from a health standpoint. So while I would like to think that they're taking every precaution necessary and they have the leadership in place to say, hey, be smart about this. They're still existing in the world and there's a chance that any player could get this. 
That being said, just to avoid the chance of somebody getting out and about, would you assign a responsible player a day to literally be handcuffed to Carlos Martinez? Um, see, I want my responsible players to also though have, you know, mental health is important, Randy. <laughs> I need them to be in a great mental space to play, and they're dealing with loving them to Carlos is necessarily the best play from that standpoint. I would just hire somebody, you know, just like one specific person. Yeah, you're the Carlos czar. You you just you follow him around. You you make sure that he's doing everything. Here's a checklist. I Didn't need the, you to report back. The Cowboys had a guy for Pac-Man Jones, right? That was uh, his job, was a full-time job, 24 hours a day. Just keep an eye on Pac-Man for us. So that's what they need to do is find one of those people. You know, I would like to think that Carlos would be taking this seriously. I mean, we again, I, we saw him at the winter warm-up. He talked about the responsibility that he feels this season and how he understands um, the importance of the 2020 season in regards to his entire career and the opportunity that exists. But I wonder if that mentality has shifted even a little bit, saying, okay, it's not a normal season, 60 games, are people really going to count this? And I I don't know him. I've not had that conversation with him. But I just think it might be natural for any player to think about, hey, this isn't a regular season. So all of these precautions that I was taking or all this stuff that I was doing before, I might not have to be so strict with myself, even though they should be even more strict. He has been seen in Soja, Illinois, and not because he's a huge baseball fan and went to a Grizzlies game. Recently. Oh, no. Oh, I was going to say. I think there's video. Oh, in the, in the past. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, I thought you meant recently. I was oh, like, no. that does not seem like the place to be. No, not right now. No. So this season, as we've been talking about, 60-game season, we're going to see a sprint, arguably best September we're going to have in baseball. Everybody's going to be in it minus a couple teams take it or leave it we're going to need a game 61 to finish this season good good question i'm going to take that i'm going to take it as well okay take it or leave it you're going to need a game 61 for more than two teams yeah i'll take that and then probably uh play in for the wild card Mm -hmm. yeah it'll be fun from the 314, this Golden State Warriors team with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, and now Andrew Wiggins, take it or leave it, they will win two more championships. I'm going to take that. You are? Yeah. Mm. Yep. LeBron is up there in years. I think that that group, and they, by the way, will have a top five pick this year. And I think if they get that Wiseman, the kid from Memphis that didn't get a chance to play, and he's their center. Man, alive. They'll have a lot of talent. They'll need to replace the Sean Livingstons of the world and the Iguodalas of the world, but they're a really good organization. So I think they will, and I, I think that group, but the point I was going to make, is better than the Clippers, better than the Rockets. So I don't know if there's a team in the West that can beat them, and I know there's nobody right now in the East. But I, I don't think there's a star in the East that could handle what they bring on a regular basis with five guys, at least four guys. So I'd, I'd have to look and actually deep dive in this, but I'm going to leave it just because stars play musical chairs so much that while I look at that group of and I say, yes, it's very likely that they get one, if not two. Um, I just the way that stars pair up with one another these days, mm-hmm. I, I just look at, OK, what about KD when he returns? Who could potentially want to go? play with him or you know is there somebody that within the next two years could move teams and join and make another super team to challenge them if you get a premier and it'd have to be a young premier player 
with Zion, mm-hmm. maybe you've got a chance. Or if the Celtics can keep their team together. But you still have to be able to... Who guards Steph Curry and Clay Thompson? That's the that's the tough part of the equation here, is who does that. Right. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that was Tanner. He'll be back with us later. Coming up, though, on our fresh take, we've got a new thing here on Carriker and Smallman, and it's going to be your part and our part, but it's going to be fun. We'll tell you about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take, powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnucks on 101 ESPN. It is 8.01 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Why don't we make it 8.02 in 3, 2, 1. Woof. 8.02, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. I I am uh, looking right now at a photo of Red Sox uh, training camp, summer camp, brought to you by Camping World. And their players are wearing Red Sox masks, Michelle. They are. So I think it's incumbent upon the Cardinals, as we have mentioned, to get their players fashion-forward Cardinal masks. Well, Randy, maybe today we can see it at summer camp. You know, we can... Not yet. Oh. Because uh, camp originally was scheduled to be right around 11 o'clock, and now it has been delayed for no reason that has been given. But we can guess, because yesterday's was delayed because of a lack of testing, so I'm thinking maybe we don't have the test results back yet. If you're a player, how angry or frustrated are you right now? Yeah, it is frustrating. And I feel for the people in Utah that are getting all these tests, especially after the holiday weekend. They probably had several thousand tests sitting uh, on their doorstep, literally, when they showed up for work yesterday morning. So they've got a lot to get through. And yeah. then they have to go through the process and email all the results to the Cardinals. It's probably a lot of work for them. Yes, it most likely is, but it also seems kind of like a self-inflicted problem. Yeah, it is totally. (laughs) It it totally is. So I don't necessarily feel badly for any of the parties involved because I would like to think that somebody, maybe somebody who's making a lot more money than you or I would have been like, "Mm, FedEx, holiday Mm -hmm. weekend, maybe we should work around this. Maybe we should figure out a way over a holiday weekend when our players are just returning to summer camp and the spotlight is on us right before we announce our schedule to make sure that the test gets processed and that we know that everyone's safe and healthy. Now, yesterday we told you about the statement that Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Nationals, made in regards to not getting testing back. He said, per MLB's protocol, all players and staff were tested for COVID-19 on Friday, July 3rd. 72 hours later, we have yet to receive the results of those tests. We cannot have our players and staff work at risk. Therefore, we have canceled our team workout scheduled for this morning. We will not sacrifice the health and safety of our players, staff, and their families. Without accurate and timely testing, it is simply not safe for us to continue with summer camp 
Brought to you by Camping World. <laughs> Major League Baseball needs to work quickly to resolve issues with their process and their lab. Otherwise, summer camp and the 2020 season are at risk. Seems like a reasonable statement. Strongly worded, but a reasonable statement. And Michelle, you have the reaction of the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred. Yeah, so I was reading on NBC Sports that, uh, per the Washington Post, it, they had reported that Rob Manfred considered Rizzo's statement to be insubordination, and the anonymous source says that the commissioner jumped on him for that. If I'm the Lerner family that owns the Nationals, and you're the world champions now, and you've got some juice, I would think that if you wanted to start the process of getting enough teams to get rid of Manfred, you could probably get a few teams to follow along. If yes, most likely you would think, especially at this stage of the game, given given the broken road that led us to this exact moment. Mm-hmm. But how how is Rob Manfred concerned about insubordination at this stage of the game? He should be looking at these comments and say, "You're absolutely right." Mm-hmm. This is what I can't understand: is that someone like him, who is in this position, needs to realize that the health and safety of their players is beneficial to him. To have the players be healthy and have the test results in in a timely manner means that they're going to play, which means that you are going to have games happen, which means you're going to make money. So you shouldn't be worried about insubordination or your ego at this stage of the game. You should be worried about the players who don't have the test results yet and that may have been exposed to a virus in a pandemic. What would Bill Belichick say to Rob Manfred? Do your job. That's simple. Or we're on to Cincinnati. One of those two. One of those two. Now, last month we talked about engaging with you, and we want to. And uh, Carriker and Smallman came up with an idea, and thanks to your help, we have uh, decided to move forward with this idea. Michelle, tell people what's going on. Well, this was when baseball was squabbling internally about money, and we were fed up with baseball. A lot of people were fed up with baseball, and there was a huge chance that we would not have a baseball season. And while we have summer camp going on, this is while this is going to be a fun summer activity, it could also be a contingency plan right? Yeah, right. in case things go awry. But we wanted to harken back to a, a great time in baseball. We wanted only positive baseball memories this summer because what is summer without baseball? So we said, you know what? We need to read a baseball book. And we crowdsourced with all of our great uh, character and small community here. We had put out a poll of four potential options. And the winner. What was the hashtag? You know, I did hashtag BBC and that. I'm here to tell you, don't do that. Yeah, don't. (laughs) Don't hashtag BBC, especially from your work computer. (laughs) And more importantly, don't click on the hashtag from your work computer. Because then you'll have to have an uncomfortable conversation with your boss like I did. I was like, hey, if I get flagged, it was... I I didn't mean to look at that at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday on my work computer. (laughs) Sorry about that. So, um... (laughs) Do we have a new hashtag or a new name? Because we cannot go with BBC. Baseball Book Club. Wasn't it BBBC? BBBC? Yeah. Baseball Book Club? I don't know, but that's even too close to comfort for me. How about uh, KMBC? No, that's probably a radio station, huh? Or KS. KS. There we go. KSBC. Directional College. No. Character and Smallman Book Club. KSBC. KSBC. Yeah. Should we just hashtag it Carriker and Spelman Book Club? It's a very yeah, long hashtag. Yeah, but, you know, I don't think that there's going to be anything else that could be confused with Carriker and Spelman no, Book Club. No, I'm with you there. Maybe KS Book Club? Yeah, good. Okay. Okay. That's shorter. I like it. Well, we did put out the poll. It did have the, um, the 
accidental hashtag, we had to delete that poll and then put up a new <laughs> poll because we didn't want people accidentally getting redirected to maybe images that they weren't expecting. So uh, the results were in, and three nights in August, the Buzz Bissinger book about Tony Larusa uh, was the winner, and we have the book here in our hands. And we thought, okay, we'll break this up essentially into a couple groups, four groups essentially of about 50 pages because it's about 270 Mm. pages long. So per the math here, if we break this out into 50 pages, we can get 53 pages and we're at chapter four. So let's set a timetable here. When are we going to start this? When is it going? When do we need to have our 53 pages read by? Let's give everybody the opportunity to get a book right now. It's Tuesday and you can go on Amazon and get the book cheap right now. And get it into your hands by Saturday? Oh, probably before that if you have Prime. Oh, no doubt about it. But at or the go very, to your local bookstore. Yeah. Right. Support oh. a local bookshop. Do we still have those? Yeah. Okay, good. So pick up three nights in August and start reading. And our first discussion then of those 50 pages. And we'll give you three or four days to read the pages. So why don't we want to start next Wednesday on the 21st. That sounds great. Okay. And we'll have a discussion on uh, KS Book Club and <laughs> we'll discuss it here and we'll want your mic drops and we'll want your uh, discussion points at uh, uh, w- with the mic drop feature and, of course, the Air Service Comfort text line. And Three Nights in August is going to be the, the first book. So there's um, a quote at the beginning before you get to the table of contents. May I read it to you? Yeah. I'm as nauseous as I've ever been. I have a terrible headache. My head is pounding. I feel like throwing up and I'm having trouble swallowing. And the beauty of it is you want to feel like this every day. Tony LaRussa. That's fantastic. So Buzz Bissinger's Three Nights in August is going to be the first book in the Carriker and Smallman Book Club, KS Book Club, hashtag KS Book Club. And yeah, there won't be any problems with that hashtag. Let's hope not. I read this book a long time ago, and I'm looking forward to rereading it. And I would hope that a lot of fans uh, get involved with the book club. And we're gonna have, we're gonna make it fun. We'll we might even come up with stuff for the book club. We'll see. Stuff. Yeah, I like it. We, Who doesn't like stuff? Everybody loves stuff. Next up, as we roll on here uh, on Character and Smallman. Normally, when a baseball schedule comes out in the season before, like you're in August, and you say, "Okay, well." They play the Yankees next year. Last night was a little bit different. We'll talk about the Cardinals' schedule release next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals' schedule is out, and July 24th through 26th, they'll play the Pirates here in St. Louis. And then, Michelle, they go on a quick road trip, July 28th and 29th at Minnesota, Mm -hmm. then July 31st through August 2nd at Milwaukee, August 3rd and 4th at Detroit. The season is going to go by in an absolute blink. Think of how quickly we get to July in a normal baseball season. You play April and May, actually, when we get to June, uh, Memorial Day. It it goes by like that. It's going to be Memorial Day. That's what uh, of a regular season. That's what we're going to be dealing with here. Normally you say, okay, I'm not going to make a judgment on a team until Flag Day. Mm-hmm. At what point in this schedule is our, air quotes, Flag Day? When are we going to say, okay, this is this team and we're going to not have really any questions? It's going to, or are we even going to get to that stage? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that a team 
Well, this team is different because they've been together and we kind of know their personality. Mm -hmm. But I don't think many teams will be able to glean a personality at all this season. And like we've talked about, it can be a six or seven game winning streak that is the difference between you being great or you being terrible. You can be a 500 team or you can be... Uh, if you do that, if you go on that six or seven game winning streak and then play 500 the rest of the season, then you're looking at 37 wins, 37 and 23. But you very easily could play 500. One of the concerns that I have, Michelle, is the end of the season. And it's not the teams, but it's just playing on the road. And I don't know how different it's going to be without fans. But September 14th through 16th at Milwaukee, September 17th through 20th at Pittsburgh, 21st to through 23rd at Kansas City, there's a chance because the Cardinals might just look at every game the same, home or a road, might be the same game. They're better than those three teams, and then they wrap up with Milwaukee here in St. Louis. There's a chance that the Cardinals could really rumble down the stretch if home field advantage isn't a factor this year. I don't I don't see a space where it necessarily is a factor. Do you? I, I think every ballpark is essentially, I know every ballpark has certain nuances mm-hmm. that teams either prefer or they don't like. But without fans and all of these protocols in place, I don't wonder if it's a situation like we had with the Blues in the playoffs last year where they're more relaxed on the road. Might be. Where when they're at home, they're they're worried about you know their families or certain things that they have occupying their minds that when they're on the road, they might just say, hey, whatever. It's all kind of the same anyway. That's, that's the way at least I would kind of look at it. But I think you're right. That last week of the season... Even though they're playing Kansas City on the road, that certainly seems like a a Mm feast-type situation. And then to have those last four games at home versus Milwaukee, that could be the four games that decides your position in the postseason. If you're playing against the Brewers, they're probably going to be right there, too. One thing about this schedule is that I don't see a long—well, you don't have many long stretches. But to me, there are only a couple of— even close to daunting stretches. You've got the week in Chicago where you play August 13th at Dyersburg against the White Sox in the Field of Dreams games. Mm -hmm. But then you go to Chicago, you don't know what the White Sox are going to be, and then you're at the Cubs. And then you've got Cincinnati here. So that stretch right there is problematic. The only other thing I see is September 4th through 7th at the Cubs and September 8th and 9th against the Twins here and 11th through 13th the Reds here. Otherwise, you're playing Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Detroit. You have Minnesota mixed in there. Minnesota's tough, but I'm just talking about stretches. Then you get Detroit again, and Detroit, along with Baltimore, is probably going to be the worst team Mm -hmm. in baseball. Pittsburgh is not going to be good. This is a schedule where you use the word feast. The Cardinals should be pretty full by the end of the season. Yeah, you when you look at the games versus, as you said, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and then what do you think about the Royals? Do you think that they're going to feast on them as well? Yes, yeah, me I do. too. So you got at least three teams in in these sixty games that you should be looking at as a great opportunity. And the Cardinals are going to have to be solid offensively, like they weren't in the NLCS last year. They're going to have to pick up the same way they did during spring training, right from the get go. When they take on the Pirates. And remember, the Pirates don't have Clint Hurdle anymore. Uh, They don't have Ray Searidge as their pitching coach. They've traded away all their stars. And they're they're, they're not going to be good. I I was going to say there are real questions about how good they're going to be. No, there aren't any questions. They they just aren't going to be good. Minnesota, we know, can hit a ton of home runs. Mm -hmm. They upgraded their pitching during the offseason. Milwaukee... 
has a great manager in Craig Council, always seems to get the most out of the starting pitching talent that he has, but I don't see their starting pitching talent being that great. The one advantage that Council and Milwaukee have is that you can abuse a bullpen for two mm-hmm. months in a 60-game season. So I would not be surprised to see them, well, I think most teams will, but they're going to go in with a plan of getting only three innings out of their starters and then turn it over to the, their bullpen. And they know how to execute that yeah, plan really well. I think that they're definitely going to be a dangerous team in this format. And when you look at the way the schedule set up, two off days per month, it's going to be fast. It's going to be furious. It's going to be fun. And maybe it's the pandemic, but I'm looking at this saying only two off days. That's only two opportunities that you have to really worry about what guys are, are mm-hmm. doing when they, right. they don't have a game. The Cardinals have the fourth easiest schedule in baseball. Think about it from this perspective, Michelle. If you think about the Nationals, who won the World Series last year, but they they played the Cardinals in the NLCS. So, ostensibly, the two best teams in the National League. Well, we can go with Atlanta, too, if you think they were. But look at them having to play the Rays, the Red Sox, who are still going to be reasonably formidable. They aren't going to be a world champion, but they have a chance to beat you every day. Plus the Yankees. Plus, you still have to play against the Phillies. You, if you're the Braves, you do have to play against Washington. The Mets are better than they were last year. There are a lot of bumps in the road if you're in, a, in the East. There are a lot of bumps in the road if you're in the in the West because you've got Houston, you've got Oakland. They're good. Obviously, you've got the Dodgers. San Diego should be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Diamondbacks are always competitive. This seems like, to me, the easiest division, the central divisions, and the easiest schedules in baseball. It does, and you can make the argument that that that's a positive or it's a negative, because while it's a positive that you certainly put yourself in a better position to win, there is the iron sharpens iron argument to say if you're playing these good teams consistently and you're the ones that emerge on top, you're probably Mm -hmm. in a better position from a competition standpoint to go on and win the World Series. If teams, because of the shortened schedule, aren't able to get as many innings out of their starters, or... If starters or any pitchers get injured, the Cardinals have a massive advantage. There is not a single team that they'll play among these Central Division teams that has the wealth of pitching that the Cardinals do. In fact, I might argue, and I know Derek Gould and Rick Hummel uh, had this debate at stltoday.com a couple of months ago. and We've talked to several Cardinals players about it. You might get to the Cardinals' second nine pitchers, and they might be they might be as good as Detroit's first nine. That's how, how much Detroit is going to struggle. Pittsburgh too. Pittsburgh has some talent there, but if you go in terms of depth, mm-hmm. the Cardinals' second nine guys might comprise a Pittsburgh staff. That's how good the Cardinals' pitching is. Advantage Cardinals, and you'd like to think that there's from a logical standpoint, that their offense is going to at least improve from what we last saw. Mm-hmm. So if you've got the pitching depth and you've got even a slightly improved offense, even just a, a functional offense, they're in a great position. So let's think about that because that's really the X factor. And I know we're sunshine lollipops here because yeah. we look at the schedule, we look at the Cardinals' talent, we look at the fact that they won the division, they were in the NLCS last year, and we think, okay, they should win. The offense could be the issue if... Because there were times last year when they didn't hit bad pitching. And if they don't hit all the pitching and score a bunch of runs, then not a bunch of runs, but enough to support their really good pitching, then 
there are teams capable of beating them. The Cubs, if they don't suffer injuries, the Reds, if they don't suffer injuries in this National League Central. And if Council is able to keep that bullpen clicking for Milwaukee, there are definitely teams out there that could upset the apple cart. Are you more concerned about Milwaukee or Chicago? The Cubs, for two reasons. Because they've done it before, and because if they can keep their five starting pitchers healthy, and then they've got Kimbrell at the back end, they can come up with a way to get from the sixth inning to the ninth. Milwaukee, I still don't think that their starting pitching is great. They've got talented arms, and they might wind up being great, but I don't think in an environment like this where you don't really have a spring training that they're going to be great. And I have seen Craig Council wear out Hater, and I know that they're going to get uh, the the rest of their bullpen back. Knievel is going to be back, but Hater is the key, and you just can't pitch him every day like they did last year. Maybe he won't wear out after 60 games, but th- that's the way Council uses him is to kind of meat grind him a little bit. But again, 60-game schedule, I mean, grind the meat. You, you, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I would. If I was him, I would say, you're our weapon. We only have a sprint here. I'm going to utilize you, obviously, in a smart way, but I'm going to utilize you as much as possible. And by the way, Milwaukee did make pretty dramatic changes during the offseason. Jed Jerko's on their team. Brock Holt is on their team. If you look at their depth chart right now, they've got Justin Smoke as their first baseman. Omar Narvaz is their catcher. Uh, Keston Hura, who we saw last year, is their second baseman. Eric Sogart is at third. Uh, Orlando Arcia is their shortstop. Plus, Yelich, Kane, and uh, Avisail Garcia in the outfield. And Ryan Braun will be their DH. And they have Je- uh, Jerko and they have Holt. But they, they're just a different-looking team than they were. I don't know if they're any better or worse. They're just different. I just pulled up the Cubs schedule. We talked about that last mm-hmm. week for the Cardinals. The last week for the Cubs... Uh, heading into that weekend, they have a three-game series versus Minnesota, but then four versus the Pirates, three versus the White Sox. And the White Sox are an X-factor. Mm-hmm. They could be great. They could be terrible. They were terrible last year. They made some upgrades. Nobody knows. And the Twins, we know, can hit a bunch of home runs. The Twins, the twins should be really good. They should win that division. But that's a tougher stretch run for the Cubs than it is for the Cardinals, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And... You know, we we keep talking about how at the last week of the season, there's going to be so many teams in contention. You could literally look at the last week of the season and think, okay, if all of these teams are in contention, who's in the best position to win this out? And it could come down to, there's going to be a lot of factors, but scheduling could play a huge factor in deciding this down the stretch. So it's going to be really hard to predict, but obviously we're we're Cardinal fans and we hope they win. (laughs) And the opener is on the 24th against the Pirates here in St. Louis. And it's a night game. You'll be able to see it on FS Midwest with... Danny Mac and somebody. Are we going to have a, we should have a new opening day celebration. It's a good idea. Just make it a huge day here. Okay. Yeah. We've been waiting a long time for this. We have earned this. We deserve it. We deserve okay. this. It'll be more than opening day. It'll be opening day on the 24th, a Friday. Yes. Oh, and a Friday. What a great day to have it. Get off of work, go home, make a great dinner, some barbecue, crack open a Bud Light, settle in, watch a Cardinals game. Oh, Beautiful. I wonder it'll be warm. I wonder if anybody will do social distanced tailgating in the lots outside. We'll bring bring along a big screen TV. Not a bad idea. I'm always thinking about tailgating. Look at you. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we have The Fight on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. In the red corner, the challenger, Average Joe Listener! Listener! And in the blue corner, fighting out of the mean streets of Creve Corps, the undisputed king of morning drive, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Randy Carriker. Welcome back to Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN 833, which means it is time for the fight. You heard that fancy intro. It says the undisputed Victor and Randy Carriker, but that is in question today because we have a returning fighter. Zach is with us. Zach tied with Randy yesterday, so the tie goes to the winner, and Zach is here to compete against Randy again. Good morning, Zach. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. You ready to take on Randy again? Number two, you're one away for the chance for the Hall of Fame. How are you feeling about this? Uh, let's do it. All right. Zach, question number one. Who was the Kansas City Chiefs starting quarterback before Patrick Mahomes took over the full-time duties in 2018? Was it Chad Henney, Alex Smith, or Matt Castle? Alex Smith. Patrick Mahomes was the 10th overall pick in the 2017 NFL Draft. There was one quarterback taken before Patrick Mahomes in this draft. Who was that quarterback? Was it Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, or Deshaun Kaiser? Trubisky. All right, Zach, question number three. The Cardinals' first road game this year will be on July 28th when they visit the Minnesota Twins. What is the name of the Minnesota Twins' ballpark? Is it PNC Park, Miller Park, or Target Field? Who was the St. Louis Blues player? Who was the last St. Louis Blues player to win the Hart Trophy? Was it Chris Pronger, Brett Hull, or Wayne Gretzky? Brett Hull. All right. Tanner is on his way to get Randy. Zach, now that you've heard the questions, confidence check. Where are you on a scale of 1 to 10? I'm feeling pretty confident. Yeah, you kind of cruised through those. No lie. Oh, Randy. (laughs) They were pretty easy, honestly. Yeah, they were. But see, you have to think then, are they going to be easy enough for Randy? Uh, They usually are for him. Right. All right. Well, Randy, by the way, came in with a slight jog. He is is chipper and ready to go. I I thought I was running late. I was talking to Mike Ryder out there and uh, thought... I saw the door open. I said, oh, better get going. There you go. Well, uh, Randy, say hello again to Zach. Zach, hello again. Good to have you with us. Good to have you. Ready, Randy? I'm ready. Question number one, who was the Kansas City Chiefs starting quarterback before Patrick Mahomes took over the full-time duties in 2018? Alex Smith. Randy, Patrick Mahomes was the 10th overall pick in the 2017 NFL Draft. There was one quarterback taken before Patrick Mahomes in this draft. Who was that quarterback? I believe that would have been Mitchell Trubisky to the Bears. Man. Yikes. And they traded up to get him. Yikes. (laughs) Think about that. Yeah. Rough. Randy, the Cardinals' first road game this year will be on July 28th when they visit the Minnesota Twins. What was the name? What is the name of their ballpark? Target Field. And last one, Randy, who was the last St. Louis Blues player to win the Hart Trophy? Chris Pronger. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! We have a winner. And still champion, Randy Carriker! 
Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Great fight, but I'm sorry, Zach. Randy edged you out four to three. Let's run through the answers here. Alex Smith was the starting quarterback for the Chiefs before Patrick Mahomes took over the full-time duties in 2018. He went nine and six as the Chiefs starter in 2017. Mitchell Trubisky was the quarterback taken before Patrick Mahomes in that draft. He went second overall to the Bears. The Twins play at Target Field, and I went there last summer, Randy. First mm-hmm. time there. Beautiful ballpark. Yeah. it's They do it right in, they, in St. Paul, Minneapolis. They do. An underrated city. People need to talk more about Minneapolis. It is good. Great city, especially in the summertime. And Chris Pronger was the last Blues player to win the Hart Trophy. That was in the 99-2000 season. He had 14 goals, 48 assists, and 62 points. Zach, sorry you didn't come out with the victory, but great showing it over these past two days. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, and Zach, thanks uh, for the shout-out on Twitter, and we do appreciate you listening every day. Yep. Okay, take care. Zach with us on 101 ESPN. So, yeah, he uh, when he won yesterday, he put that up on social media, and we do appreciate that. Yeah, thank you for the shout-out. And he said he listens every single day, so we're glad to have him. And you can participate every day. All you need to do is text 65780 to the Air Comfort Service text line anytime between 7 and 8 o'clock, and that's when Tanner gets our participant for the day. Yeah, text in. I wonder if people are intimidated to text in Randy. I wonder if they think, okay, I could take down Randy. This is going to be my day. Or if they think, man, I don't know. Randy's mega mind. I don't know if I want to go against him on a a big platform like that. No, I I don't think people are intimidated. They shouldn't be intimidated because they get the opportunity to take me down. I I think that's probably the fun is the bragging rights. For me, that's the fun of it. And there's a lot of people that know a lot about sports. So... Don't be intimidated. It's a fun thing. And you get the options. Yeah. As a listener. As a listener. Michelle, during uh, our last commercial break, I ordered the Three Nights in August book for the uh, book club, the KS Book Club. Nice. Hashtag KS Book Club. Love it. And uh, we're going to start reading it once we get it. I think I get it on Thursday. I do. And so I'm looking forward to it. And it was only $10.25. So order three nights in August, and the uh, Character and Small Moon Book Club starts next Wednesday. That's when we'll, we'll start reviewing the book. You might even have it on a bookshelf. I'm sure a lot yeah. of people that are listening right now have it at home. Reread it, and we're going to start going through some of our favorite moments of that 2003 Cardinal season. Can't wait. Randy, on the back, they have little excerpts, little blurbs, if you will, from mm-hmm. people who have read the book. There's one from Bill Belichick. Is there? What's he say? say? He says, a great writer, a great manager, a great book filled with surprises. In three nights in August, Buzz Bissinger has brought to baseball the same magic he brought to football in Friday Night Lights. Oh. What's the percentage chance Belichick wrote that? Zero. Zero percent yeah, chance he wrote that. Wrote that. I, I mean, he could have just said, great book, read it. And I would have believed it was Bill Belichick. Right, but not that. That last line. You know, Bissinger's brought to baseball the same magic he brought to football on Friday Night Lights. There is no chance Bill Belichick said that. I'll never forget. None. During that 2003 season that Bissinger writes about, the Cardinals had a bad bullpen, and they signed Esteban Yan and Pedro Borbon Jr. And one <laughs> night in August, Tony puts in Esteban Yan, who was a big sweater. He could have had the big the sweat nickname before uh, Dennis Reyes did. And Tony brings Jan into a game, and he was terrible. And as he's walking back to the dugout from the mound, he looks up to Walt Jockety's box, and it's almost like, hey, if you're going to give him to me, I'm going to pitch him. Mm-hmm. 
and he knew that he was going to get blown up, and he did. And thus, the 2004 Cardinals were built. Uh, maybe from that one glance, hey, if you're going to give me this guy, I'm going to pitch him. It's your fault. Can you imagine sitting in that box and Tony La Russa gives mm-hmm. you the glare like yeah, that? Yeah, oh, man. Yikes. Yeah, but Tony had no choice. That's what he had to do. But think about what they did in 04 in terms of rebuilding the pitching staff. Uh, obviously, they got Chris Carpenter back, but they signed Jeff Supon and... Uh, Woody Williams was terrific for them. He had come over in 2002. They finally got Matt Morris healthy. They trade for Jason Marquis. They trade for Wayno. They fixed the bullpen by uh, getting a guy like uh, Ray King down there. They, they, they had a really, it was just a really well-formed unit. I think that's an underrated part of baseball is you can have a lot of good players, but having a, a unit that works together in sync is what makes a great team. And that team was great. There was a place for everything and everything for a place. The lineup fit perfectly together. Everybody defensively fit perfectly together. You didn't have anybody out of position, and everybody that did play a position was great at what they did. Mm-hmm. It was a really good team. Is that the best team, Cardinals team you've seen that didn't win? Best team I've seen that did or didn't win. Wow, really? Yeah. They were they were better than 82. They were better than 06. They were better than 11. As much as I love the 85 team, they were better than the 85 team. That was the best Cardinal team I've ever seen. Do you think that adds to the the lore of the Red Sox? I mean, they were a team of destiny, and yeah. it almost it was interesting when I moved to Bristol, talking to so many Red Sox fans there. They said after they beat the Yankees, it was just kind of like, if we win, great. But that that to them mm-hmm. was the World Series. But then to think that they would go on and beat that Cardinals team too. That was impressive, and it was a team of destiny, and things were working against the Cardinals because Carpenter got hurt, right? and they were gassed at the end. They That was a tough series against Houston, and then they went in with literally no days off. Something had happened in the schedule, so they win game seven. They go to Boston, and I think they played the next night, and so that wasn't a very good way to start off the World Series. So, yeah, there were a lot of negatives in the World Series, but it happens. I remember a little bit how I felt after that, and I was kind of resigned to, oh, it's a team of destiny. They, they've they waited long enough for this one. Mm-hmm. Is that how you felt at the end, or were you angry? No, I wasn't angry. I, I, was, I was okay with them winning it, because I do think if you go back and look at who was available to the Cardinals in that World Series, that just wasn't the team that won 105 games. It, they were really compromised by injury and just being worn out down the stretch. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, our friend Bob Nightingale. We'll talk about the schedule and testing and more on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and joining us is our friend from USA Today, Bob Nightingale. He is their national baseball writer and has been covering baseball for a long time with a great deal of hard work put into it, and he does fantastic work. Bob, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Well, let's start with the fact that the Cardinals, again, have had to delay their practice today after canceling practice yesterday. How much of a concern is it that the testing issues have popped up like they did yesterday around the sport? What's well, a concern. I mean, the, uh, you know, they weren't available for the July 4th weekend. Uh, FedEx wasn't, you know, wasn't operating. Their backup company you know, didn't have access to planes and things like that. 
uh, the Oakland A's, for instance, they just started their they had their first full squad workout, you know, last night. You know, about four days after everybody else. Bob, do you think that this is something that? Major League Baseball will be able to adjust moving forward. I know it was a holiday weekend, and so that throws a different wrinkle in there, but it still seems like, even with that, that there's some flaws in this testing protocol that need to be ironed out. No, absolutely. Uh, You know, you're supposed to get tested every other day. Uh, Guys are talking about only being tested once. Uh, Players were upset that, you know, the results were, uh, you know, so slow. They were taking the field without knowing what the results were from a couple of days earlier. So, yeah, they have to get this drain out. Or, or players will bail. Players will say, you know what, it's not worth it to me. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to play this season. Bob, we all saw the uh, release from Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Nationals, yesterday. He was furious, as he should have been. And today there was a report that Rob Manfred said that Rizzo was being insubordinate and said that to Mike Rizzo. Do you think with everything that's happened here from the start of the break on March 12th to now, do you think that owners are taking a second look at Rob Manfred as their commissioner? I don't think so. I know that rumor is flying around, uh, but I haven't got any sense of that at, at all. Uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they're the ones who, uh, you know, pay his checks and everything else. But, you know, I know there was, uh, you know, people were upset, you know, during the labor negotiations and things like that. But I never heard a groundswell saying, okay, time to remove him. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so at all. I, I still think they think he's the right guy for the job. And uh, and I think you know, uh, with Manford or MLB calling out Mike Rizzo, I, I think it's they're very sensitive now to any criticism or ne- negativity, in the sense where hey, we're all in this together. We're going to go through some growing pains with this process. You know, it's going to be a uh, minor miracle if we make it through sixty games. You know, let's let's all have an understanding here. And I do think. Bob, there's a couple of things that go into Manfred for fans that might not be paying attention. The revenues that the sport generates outside of the pandemic are tremendous, second highest of any sport, uh, $10.7 billion last year. But the other part that I know that you can address, he's a Bud Selig guy, and Bud Selig was one of the owners, and the owners really liked Bud Selig, and his stamp of approval, Bud's stamp of approval means a lot to the owners, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, Bud Schilling didn't really want the job at, at, you know, at one time. He says, you know, let's have somebody else. And all the owners kind of pushed him into it, saying, no, no, we, we want you to do it, not anybody else. So, yeah, they like Bud a lot. And Bud was more a consensus taker. He wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page and wasn't going to uh, do something without everybody agreeing on it. Where before, the owners were kind of fighting with one another. Uh, he he kind of united everybody. Uh, on a positive note, Bob, we did get the schedule release last night. And after you had a chance to pour over the schedules, what's a team or team that you think is in a great position to succeed this season in this 60-game setup after you've seen their schedule? Well, it's, it's hard to judge just from the home and road. I mean, for instance, you look at the uh, Chicago Cubs. They've played Cincinnati Reds 10 times, you know, like, like, the, like the Cardinals in the same division. But yet, seven of those 10 games are in Cincinnati and not at Wrigley Field. So there's kind of a uh, twist and turns in, in the schedule. Uh, I, I do believe that if you're going to be one reason in the country, you want to be in the NL Central or AL Central. 
just because they had so many rebuilding teams in there, you know, from Detroit and uh, Kansas City, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, that sort of thing. So, uh, so a team like the Cardinals, I think, you know, benefit greatly. I think I saw where the Cardinals have the third or fourth easiest schedule in, in baseball mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, it's the fourth easiest. And what do you think of the club? As we saw in spring training one, and as we look at summer camp two, and now you've got Michael is healthy and you've got Hicks coming back probably a couple of weeks into the season. What do you think of this edition of the Cardinals, especially against, like you said, those rebuilding teams that they're going to see a lot of? Well, I like the fact that the, you know, the Cardinals are more of a veteran team. They've all been together. I think that's going to be beneficial. I think the teams that have a lot of youth are going to struggle just because, you know, they haven't been there. They don't have an experience where if you have veterans, usually you worry about those guys breaking down and getting tired in midsummer. Well, now these guys should have fresh legs and, uh, you know, good to go. So I, I favor the veteran teams at a time like this. Bob, you had an interesting tweet yesterday about Major League Baseball attempting to go to Nashville. You talked about Music City Baseball, this group that wants to bring baseball to Nashville, and some really interesting names involved in there, including Dave Dombrowski, Dave Stewart, um, and our own Tony Larusa. Uh, what can you tell us about Music City Baseball and their quest to bring baseball to Nashville? Yeah, even uh, Alberto Gonzalez, the former uh, you know, U.S. Attorney General, uh, is in that group. Uh, um, Bob Kenrick, that Eagle League Hall of Fame uh, director, is in the group. So yeah, it's just a, uh, they believe that you know, Nashville is ready. I think it's the 29th you know, biggest uh, market right now. Uh, you know, fast growing, fast growing city, and uh, they believe they're ready. You know, they want to do something very similar to what St. Louis has, Atlanta has. You know, the ballpark village, Atlanta has they already called the Battery, and they want an expansion franchise. If not. They're willing to have some team relocate there, you know, like like a team like the Tampa Bay Rays. Bob, it'd be really interesting with Tony and with Dave Stewart and with Dave Dombrowski. I wonder if they would hire an analytically inclined general manager or if this would be the team that uh, foregoes analytics like kind of the Washington Nationals did last year and relies more on old school philosophy because all of those three guys are old school, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are. And, uh, yeah, I think Dave Stewart and, uh, and Tony would be more part of the ownership group. Uh, you know, I would think a guy like Dave Dabrowski would probably be you know, more of the president, you know, CEO type deal. Yeah, so who knows? But yeah, they're all, you know, old school and thinking. Obviously, Tim Lewis and Dave Stewart have been around uh, forever. Uh, you know, and Tim Lewis was the one who hired Dave Stewart uh, as GM of the Dimebacks, and Dave was only the fifth fifth black GM in, in baseball history. So, uh, yeah, it'd be very interesting what, what they do. They're trying to, a, uh, try to become the first, you know, majority owned, you know, black baseball team in, in history, uh, hoping to get over, you know, 51% uh, of the money um, by black business leaders. Bob, what's your sense of baseball's desire to expand? Well, they definitely want to expand. You know, it just makes it so much easier having 32 teams and not the, uh, you know, 15-15 in each league. I don't know if they're ready to do that yet, though. I mean, teams could love love the influx of money. You're talking about a billion dollars each team would have to put up. So that's, uh, you know, $2 billion there that's shared with the uh, clubs. But, you know, I'm not sure they can expand yet because of the stadium issues 
we still have in uh, in Tampa and in Oakland. Bob Nightingale, always good to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time, and we will talk to you soon. All right, my pleasure. Take care. Thank you. See you later. That is our friend Bob Nightingale of USA Today on 101 ESPN. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be good for baseball to have Tony and Dave Stewart, and I'm sure Walt would wind up being part of that group because those guys, Dombrowski, Tony, and Walt all started, all got to know each other with the White Sox back mm-hmm. in the late seventies, early eighties. They've been friends forever, and I'd have to believe that uh, all three of them, and then you'd add in some of those o- old Oakland A's guys, would be parts of what they would try to accomplish. And we talk about baseball. I mean, think about the conversations that we had even weeks ago about the state of baseball. You know, is is baseball on the precipice of decline? And then we're having conversations about putting a team in Nashville. Well. That's why I asked about baseball wanting to expand and how quickly it would take because that's $2 billion. That would be a billion, at least a billion dollars per franchise, mm-hmm. right? The Royals got sold for a bill, right? Last, maybe I, We can double-check that. But it, I would think it would be at least $2 billion in the owner's pockets if they would add two franchises. It was a billion dollars. So there you're looking at two, and that can make up for a lot of the lost money from 2020's pandemic shut down. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And today's big thing is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health is here in person or online to provide the safe, high quality and personalized care you've come to expect. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. Jericker and Smallman on 101 ESPN 903. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Okay, Michelle, we are aware of the fact that Patrick Mahomes has a new deal with the Chiefs. $450 million minimum over the next 10 years, if he plays the entire 10 years with Kansas City. $140 million injury guarantee. And this is a guy that did have a dislocated kneecap last year that caused him to miss some games. Here's my question for you. You're a Chiefs season ticket holder. Okay. Are you prepared to pay, and I want your text 65780, especially if you are a Chiefs season ticket holder, are you prepared to pay 20% more for your tickets with Patrick Mahomes having that deal? So let's Ooh, 20, say that 20%, you're... 20%, yeah, an insignificant you're, amount. No, your, your tickets before were exactly 100 bucks a pop. So your season tickets were 1000 And you're... Fourth row of the upper deck. I don't know if that's the right case. But now, rather than $100 a game, we're going to 120 And rather mm-hmm. than $1,000, we're at 1200 for one ticket. So an extra $400 for your pair of tickets for season tickets. So I'm going to think back to when the Rams were terrible. And if you mm-hmm. would have told me, hey, if you pay 20% more, you can secure not only the the best quarterback in football, but most likely the best player in football. And he had already brought you a championship and there's a good chance he's probably going to at least get you to a few Mm -hmm. more. If you pay this price, you better believe I would. And you think about Chiefs fans, they waited a long time for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. They waited a long time for a team like this. And I think if you told them, hey, the sacrifice on your end is going to be 20% more per ticket, I think that they would say, sign me up. I would. I would Heck, absolutely I, do I it. spent more when Jeff Fisher was the Rams head coach. I, I I upgraded to a different PSL level 
although I did get a refund for it. Thanks, Stan. Uh, but I did upgrade in the last couple of years. I, I went in different, better seats. Jeff Fisher was enough to get you to upgrade your seats? No, it wasn't Jeff Fisher. Oh, okay. It was, I was like, what is I, Randy? I, I, didn't, I had to pay more for the tickets, but I didn't have to pay the extra PSL price. So it made things better for me. So I, I moved from $1,000 PSLs to $3,500 PSLs. The, you know where the TV booth was or is, I guess, at the yes, Dome? Yes, yes. I was just to the right in the first row of, oh, the, okay. of the TV booth. I had really good seats. But they were, I went from like a $65 ticket to a $120 ticket or something like that. So I doubled the price. But it was worth it because I got to sit in the front row. And then I can tell the story now because... Nobody was going to the games. Yeah. And I knew the person that had given me these PSLs. They'd kind of uh, bequeathed them to me as they moved to Florida. And nobody ever had the seats next to the two that we had. So I would just go down and sit with the kids. Katie and Patrick would come. And we would have, we basically got three for the price of two. So it was a pretty good deal on your end. Yeah, we still, no, it wasn't. No, because you had to watch terrible football. Yeah, I had to watch terrible, terrible football. So if I would have said to you in that moment, hey, Randy Carricker, look around. Not a lot of people here. And the people that are here, they're miserable. They're miserable because this team yeah. is terrible. If I tack on 20% more, you're going to have an electric, dynamic, young franchise quarterback. And my team is going to be here? And you're, well, yeah, the team is guaranteed to be here. You'd pay it. <laughs> yeah, I would. Absolutely. Now, there are certain things that happen when you sign a quarterback to a big contract. Look at what's happened to the Los Angeles Rams. They cut Gurley. They had to trade Brandon Cooks. They couldn't keep Clay Matthews. They couldn't keep Corey Littleton. They've lost a lot of good players because of the money that they're going to pay Jared Goff. Here's Lewis Riddick on the ramifications of this Mahomes deal. Structure is very important, and the devil will be in the details as far as how this money is going to be played out. But there's no doubt in talking with Brett Feach, the GM, look, it was very important for him to also be able to now move on with developing the rest of the roster and making sure he can keep everything surrounding Pat intact. Look, first and foremost, look, they're still trying to negotiate with Chris Jones. The defensive tackle is one of the best inside pass rushers in the NFL. They're trying to get these two deals done simultaneously and see if they can get him under a long-term contract before that July 15th deadline so they have that piece locked. Up. And then they're going to have other players who are going to who are really going to be coming to the table here down the line that it's going to be very important for them to keep in you know keep in place. But to have Pat done and have that piece solidified gives Brett peace of mind and his team of contract negotiators when it comes to how they're going to divvy out the rest of the money here. At some point, though, it does catch up to you. I know that the cap number for Mahomes is going to stay relatively low for 2020, but eventually. Jay Zygmunt always used to say when the Rams lost London Fletcher, you can't keep everybody Mm -hmm. and you have to make choices. The Rams had to make the unfortunate choice between keeping Leonard Little or London Fletcher. After the 2001 season, they kept Leonard and they let London Fletcher walk. They had had to let Azakim walk. That'll be the problem that the Chiefs run into, and especially because there's a premium placed on guys that have won the Super Bowl. And so Tyreek Hill, Mm -hmm. in a couple of years, when he becomes a free agent, will be a guy that will get a ton of money, even with his background, because he's been a key receiver on a Super Bowl team. For sure. But even when presented with those decisions, you can't keep everybody. They're going to choose Patrick Mahomes every time. Yeah, and they should. And they should. So it's, you know, peace of mind to get this deal done at this point. And the structure of the contract that Lewis was alluding to is really interesting. You know, when I first saw the deal and I saw that term, guarantee mechanisms, Mm -hmm. in there I thought, what is that about? And then when you read further, when you break it down, it's essentially things that are put in place to protect him. And I thought it was interesting that he's 
essentially getting his guarantees the year before, which uh-huh. it makes the Chiefs, it makes it that much more difficult for the Chiefs to divest themselves of him if they would want to. Unlikely that they would want to, but, you know, it does protect him in that way. Uh, text 65780, will you pay more for Chiefs tickets? Hell no. The greed is getting old, and I didn't get a price wow. reduction when they sucked. Wow, that's a good point. But the price is going up now because they're good. You don't get a price. They're still paying the same. And here's another from the 636. Why would they have to raise ticket prices? There's still a salary cap, right? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that you do have Patrick Mahomes. And my point is, is that there is a supply and demand feature at play here. And I would think that the Chiefs would be able to charge, if they, if they aren't charging you a 20% increase, and I'm just throwing that number out there, they're going to charge somebody that 20% increase, and those people are going to take over your season tickets in Kansas City. That's kind of the point here. It's not that there's a salary cap. It's just that the, they would do it because they can. And I have to believe that that's going to happen. Heck, when, again, when the Rams won the Super Bowl in 19... 19- after the 99 season, tickets were $35 a piece in 99 and went up to 65 for the 2000 season. There was a salary cap in place, but it became a more marketable commodity for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about here. So you know that you're going to have the opportunity to see Mahomes for 10 years. Are you willing to pay more to see him? Because he's the marketable commodity that they have. He's the reason you're going to the games. Yeah. Yes, it's the laundry. Yes, it's the team. But it's Mahomes. He's the reason that you're buying the ticket. Right. And they do need, as Lewis Riddick mentioned, they're they're trying to keep Chris Jones. They want to keep other players. And Jeff Darlington of ESPN says that they should be able to do that. Well, just from the conversations that I'm having, it's one of those deals where, yes, it's eye-popping. It catches your attention because of the magnitude. But there's not one person that I've talked to that said anything remotely like, man, that feels like a lot of money for Patrick Mahomes, right? This feels right. And the one thing that we need to understand about this deal is the way it's structured in terms of length actually allows the team to plan. They can make moves on the side. They can start to build their roster knowing exactly who uh, and what Patrick Mahomes homes will cost them in terms of long-term planning. And I think that uh, Brett Veach, the team's general manager, put it best. He said, we're going to continue to do everything we can to surround him with talent, and this deal provides us more flexibility to do that. I know you might not think that way when you see that monster number, but it truly does allow the Chiefs to continue to proceed with the potential dynasty on the horizon. It's nice to have people that can find loopholes in Mm -hmm. the cap and, and contracts. I would say that if Russell Wilson were the exact same age as Patrick Mahomes. To me, those are the two comps. Russell Wilson is a guy who won a Super Bowl while he was young, still in his initial contract. If Russell Wilson was on a parallel path, or if they flip spots, Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes would be the guy getting 35 right now, and Russell Wilson would be getting 45. I think those are the only two comps in the whole league that that I would put up there. And they were... I wouldn't even put... Lamar Jackson in there because of what you said earlier. Jackson, with the, his style of play, was, seems more susceptible to injury. Would you agree with that? That if Wilson, if it were twenty-four-year-old Wilson, yeah, he would be getting forty-five, and nobody would have bat, bat an eye. And the same thing with Mahomes. They're essentially, in terms of commodities, the same sorts of players. Yeah, they're they're little to no question marks about either of those guys on or off the field right. as a leader, as a player. Yeah, I think you could you could interchange those as far as 
time. It is amazing that Mahomes, with this deal, and granted, he's still on the fourth year, and he'll ha- he'll play the fifth year option for I believe seventeen million dollars. But the average annual value of forty five million is ten million a year higher than the next highest quarterback. Ten million a year higher, Whew. and uh, he deserves it. Randy, what do you think uh, Jerry Jones' reaction was when he saw this news alert come down? I wonder, because Dak Prescott's price had to go up, right? Had to. Even though he hasn't won a Super Bowl, he's probably saying, well, if that guy's 45 and I was asking for 40, I'm not out of bounds asking for 40. And it looks like a pretty good gamble on himself, no? Yeah, smart move. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's 101 ESPN. As we roll on, you're killing me, Smalls, is coming your way here on Character and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Scott Burnside of The Athletic coming up to talk some hockey in about 15 minutes here on 101 ESPN. But right now, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy... Five years ago today, an iconic sports picture was released to us. I'm talking about the banana boat. Oh, man. I didn't realize it was that long ago. Five years ago, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, Gabrielle Union on a banana boat cruising through a crystal blue ocean. That is such a great memory. I wonder if it's a great memory for them, but it probably doesn't get didn't get any better for that group, right? Certainly LeBron and Wade won their championships. That had to be the greatest day of Chris Paul's life. <laughs> what, being on the banana boat? Yeah, yeah with maybe, those guys. Thinking, maybe. Man, one of these days I'm going to play with these guys. And now he's uh, Thunder. Yeah. But that was that was really good use of photography and social media on their part. Well, I think somebody sniped it of them. Oh, okay. And released it. But, you know, all those conversations about should... I, I know Dwayne and LeBron played together, but Melo's part of that mm-hmm. group. All those conversations of, oh, you know, in the 90s, Jordan and those guys wouldn't have ever done that. You know, they took a lot of heat for all being friends and, and hanging out in this way. And I thought it was interesting after the last dance to see, you know, Jordan golfing with Danny Ainge and right. having conversations and hanging out with opposing players. We just didn't have social media then, so you weren't as aware of it. Right. And I don't think anybody, well, I, I won't say that. I don't begrudge those guys getting together to play together with their friends because we see the drama in the NBA and how often players don't like each other. And look at the T-Wolves with Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler, how they all hated each other. Mm-hmm. Group of talented guys that should have won. So when you can get a group that likes each other, that's talented, I think they should get together and lead a happier life. Okay, Randy. I'm saying that you get to go on vacation and ride a banana boat with three other members of the sports media world. It could be national, local. It can't be anyone here on 101 ESPN, okay. just, just for fun's sake. Who, who are you picking to ride on the banana boat with? If you could do the LeBron, the Chris Paul, and say, all right, I'm going to curate my group of friends mm-hmm. here, and we're going on a banana boat. Who's on your boat? Two of them are Romo and Barkley. Okay, great picks. Uh... Who would be the... You know, I think I might go with David Faraday. He's he's a funny and interesting guy, and he's already friends with those guys. So I think I might go with that group. How about you? 
So Barkley's on there for sure because mm-hmm. he's a blast, or at least seems like a blast. Um, this is a, a an interesting question because I really liked your Barkley Romo combo here. Um, I might go. I'm trying to think. I need a play by play person who's really great. Um, who's your favorite play by play person? Maybe Joe Buck. Yeah, Joe would be fantastic. Having Joe on there, e- either Joe or Mike Tarico, who's just a sensational human being. He's he's just a fun, engaging, genial guy. Well, I would. I'm going to add Joe Buck just because I like the optics of me, Joe Buck, and Charles Barkley. Yeah, that'd be. And fun. And then you know, so I need what one more person. Yeah, to equal four. You know who I'm throwing on there? I have I have the utmost respect for her. I think she's such a star. I want Elle Duncan on my banana boat. Oh, that'd be fun. She is a blast, and I think that she would bring the fun. Yeah, that's a good call. It's a really good call. I'm sure we'll get texts about this. Yeah, get, uh, let us know who is like, your sports media banana boat. What about Shaq? But, okay, on you, the banana boat. You, I'm also thinking if I have Charles, though, do I want Charles and Shaq on the banana boat? They don't always get along. Oh, and we're also thinking about weight distribution here. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> you know that's what I mean? I mean, point. you're on a banana boat. I'm sure there's a weight limit. Those yeah. are two really big guys. Right. I'm trying to think of someone else. Who is, who is somebody in the NFL? McAfee? Okay, he would be fun. There you go. I was trying to think. Who in the NFL would be a black? Booger McFarlane, maybe? Yeah. Hmm. Can Let we it, still count Gruden? Or is he? Yeah, you could count him. Even though, he, even though he's, you know, not in the booth anymore. He was a member of sports media for a long time. Barkley, Romo, and Gruden would be fun. Barkley, Romo, and Gruden would be a blast. Gosh. There's a, there's a lot of ways you could go with this. But I think you need a play-by-play guy. You need somebody that's going to give you the rundown of everything that's happening. Danny Mac? Oh, my gosh. Danny Mac would be great. Yeah. Okay, you, Barkley, Romo, Danny Mac. That'd be a great time. We'd have a good time. From the 314, uh, and we're getting a lot of uh, input here. This is great. We appreciate it. Kevin Harlan is my announcer choice. Awesome pick. Yep. And he could describe everything that's happening, couldn't he? Oh, my gosh, without a doubt. And he would make it sound smooth as butter. How about (laughs) He's great. How about this one from the 309? Stephen A., Skip Bayless, and Max Kellerman. Ooh. But then Mm. you're also on the boat. That's That's a lot... Okay, and imagine, think about when you've been on a tube or a a banana boat type situation. There's always one person that has a little bit of trouble getting on and you get a little frustrated saying, okay, you got to get on this time or somebody that's leaning too much. (laughs) Imagine having those three guys on the boat and if somebody's leaning too much, the fights that would break out, this is supposed to be an enjoyable experience. Right, yeah, that would be, you'd have some battle royales there. Imagine the debate on where you're going to sit. (laughs) <laughs> right. You know, at least if you got and Shaq the, and Barkley, you, you're saying, all right, one's in the front, one's in the back. That's simple. Yeah, yeah. we're going to dis- distribute the weight here. Also on people's banana boats from the 314, Marcus Spears. Oh, great. From the 636, Panger. Panger would be so fun. From the 314, Aaron Andrews. Mm-hmm. From the 636, uh, the late, great Stuart Scott. Oh. Chris Berman. Oh, SVP would be great on the banana boat. Oh, that's a He's great a blast. call. Yeah. Uh, also, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. Todd, Todd, Todd. Uh, here's one that has Shaq, Panger, and Mike Shannon. Oh, wow. Ooh. From the 636. What about Peyton Manning? I mean, he does have Peyton. What is it called? Peyton's Peyton places. places. Yeah. He is in the media. Yeah. So There's a lot of great ones here. Uh, Barkley, Jalen Rose, and Brad Thompson. Ooh. 
That would be a fun banana boat. That would be really that good. Would be, that's the banana boat where as they're cruising away, people are tossing beer cans off the boat and they're catching it. They're taking a road zody on, <laughs> on that one. Yeah. Oh, by the way, can't have Danny Mac. You said no 101 peeps. So. Oh, yeah. Or Brad Thompson. Yeah. But technically with Danny Mac and Brad, you could have a loophole and say they're Fox Sports Midwest employees. Yeah, use that loophole. You could use that loophole. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, we spent the last segment talking about Patrick Mahomes and his new monster deal. And Adam Schefter had the scoop yesterday. But actually, he is not the first person that tweeted out this information about the mega deal. That never happens. That never happens. Actually, it was uh, a girl named Katie Camlin, Randy. She works at a liquor store in Kansas City. And she shows up to work and tweets this. A front office employee for the Chiefs came in and bought six bottles of Dom Perignon. Said there's a big signing today. Three of the looking eyes emojis. He said it's not Chris Jones, so my guess is a Mahomes deal. So she tweets this out. All of a sudden, the news breaks. Schefter puts it up, and then she... Quote tweet Schefter and she says, I beat Schefter. <laughs> and then she ends up deleting the tweet because she was terrified that she would get in trouble and that the Chiefs would be upset that she had leaked this information. Uh-oh. And she says, Quote, I didn't want to lose their business. I was afraid they'd be mad, so I deleted it. But of course, screenshots are forever. And so this has been um getting the a lot of play on social media, Randy, that she actually scooped it. And she says she's putting her phone away for a while, but come to Plaza Liquor and buy a beer for me, wear a mask, go Chiefs. I love that. That's the way stories with social media these days should be broken. I remember when uh, the Braves signed A.J. Pruszynski a few years ago. Somebody was talking to their manager at the time, Freddie Gonzalez, in line at a store. And Freddie Gonzalez said, yeah, we're going to sign Pruszynski today. So this person tweeted it out. Said, yeah, I just I learned from Freddie Gonzalez that the Braves are signing A.J. Pruszynski. I love that. I I see no reason why the Chiefs should get mad about that. Oh, I mean, they went in there and they talked about it. They, yeah. said, he, they said it wasn't Chris Jones. Exactly. And they're buying six bottles of Dom. You know it's a big deal. Right. I wish he wouldn't have deleted it and that that would have been shared way more and that that's the way that it got yeah. leaked. Good for her to get, to get the scoop. Absolutely. You're killing me, Small. All right, last story for you, Randy. There's a story going around the internet that the owner of the Nets is going to make a, quote, godfather-type offer to Greg Popovich, saying, essentially, it's an offer he can't refuse mm-hmm. because they want him to go and essentially coach Kyrie. If I were Greg Popovich, I would not do that. If you're Greg Popovich, even if it's a, a money number that you don't want to turn down, What's really in that for you? A lot of hassles and headaches and heartaches, probably. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody. No. And Kyrie has shown himself to be discontented at times. So I I think there are better things to do, especially when you've already got five championships under your belt and probably more money than you can ever spend. He's almost 70. He doesn't need to deal with that. And to think that you would go from San Antonio, an entire organization that you've built, Mm -hmm. that has your fingerprints all over it, and in a market that adores you and that you essentially run, and then you're going to go to a potentially headache-prone situation in New York with the spotlight on you and every move you make, people are going to be questioning how good of a coach you really are, and it's really not your fault. And here's the thing about the Nets. They made three big free agent signings last offseason. DeAndre Jordan, hurt. Kevin Durant never played a game for them. And coming back from an Achilles injury as a basketball player, dicey. And 
Kyrie, in addition to the attitude, gets hurt every year. So your chances of winning aren't that great either. When, when Spencer Dinwiddie is your best player, now taking nothing away from the guy, he's a good player, mm-hmm. but he has a very good chance to be their best player. I'd rather take my chances in San Antonio. So would I. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That's your Killing Me Small. Scott Burnside of The Athletic talking hockey next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker, and this is Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and Scott Burnside does a fantastic job of covering the NHL for The Athletic. In fact, that entire staff does an amazing job of covering the NHL, and hopefully it'll be back soon and we'll be watching hockey. Scott is with us now on 101 ESPN. Thanks for taking the time with us, sir. How are you? Uh, doing very well. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm. I share your sentiments. It would be uh, it would be nice in the coming weeks if we can start talking about power plays and uh, ice time and goaltending heroics and 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 the return to uh, to the game. So hopefully, hopefully we're on the track that sees that unfold. As we sit here, nine thirty three Central Time on July seventh. How do you feel about that track? <laughs> It's funny. I was. I always talk to my uh, colleague Pierre LeBrun. He and I do a podcast every week, which I will plug here. It's called Two Man Advantage. And every week, I ask Pierre the same thing: his level of optimism as we, you know, make our way through the pause and try and sort through what the what is happening during the pandemic. Uh, I, I would say I am as optimistic as I have been. Uh, there's still a lot of moving parts to what the NHL is hoping to accomplish along with the players association and, um, you know, even voting on the new CBA and slash uh, return to play protocols, which is going on as we speak and um, the start of training camp on July 13th. And then hopefully the start of games in Edmonton and Toronto on August 1st, so many things uh, are at play here, but I do believe that the, the amount of detail that is um, uncovered in the return-to-play protocols, uh, it gives the NHL as good a chance as it is going to have to to actually see a return-to-play and ultimately see the awarding of the Stanley Cup likely in uh, early October. So I, I, feel, I feel good. I'd say 7 out of 10 right now. Well, that's good to hear you say that, Scott, 7 out of 10, because I think a lot of people here in St. Louis, when they got the news that multiple Blues players had tested positive for COVID, they thought, "Uh uh-oh, could the season be in jeopardy? So I'm happy to hear you say 7 out of 10, despite the positive tests that we're seeing across the NHL. Well, and I think this is what's, you know, it's important to keep perspective on all of this as as it unfolds, because, um, you know, you have to expect that there are going to be positive tests um, around the hockey world. We're talking, you know, 740 players plus all the staff. You know, like it, it, it is unlikely that we're going to go through this process without having some positive tests. But I think what's critical as we move now into phase three on July 13th um, with the start of training camp, I mean, really, it's about it's about education and it's about everyone buying in. And I think it's fair to say we haven't had 
the we the, the hockey world as a whole that there hasn't been total buy-in. We, we there are uh, team you know Tampa shut down their facility early in phase two for a few days with a couple of positive tests. We've heard lots of reports about players who were outside of phase two who maybe weren't taking the care that they need to take in terms of social distancing, in terms of wearing a mask, in terms of of being responsible and not being out socially and putting themselves at risk. If that continues, well, the chances of this getting off the ground are, are, are marginalized. But if players do buy in, if they take care, if they aren't out putting themselves in, and by extension their teammates and, and, and all of the staff that they encounter, not to mention their own families at risk, um, then this has a chance. But I think these next two or three weeks are absolutely critical because I think if they can get to the hub cities in Edmonton and Toronto uh, late in July, then this has a good chance of working. But it, it is going to require more buy-in than we've seen up to this point. Scott, speaking of buy-in, uh, do you think that you're going to hear of any players uh, choosing to opt out? I believe they have until today to notify teams if they're going to do so. Do you think that you'll see any players maybe take that route, or do you think it's just kind of the hockey culture that they're all going to say, hey, we're going for it? Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to a number of people even today about that very issue, and, and players will have, um, with the new return-to-play um, protocols and the new um, memorandum of understanding on a new collective bargaining agreement, they're going to be voting on that later this week. And then they have 72 hours after the ratification of the new CBA and return to play to, in writing, indicate that they uh, will be opting out of playing. There's no penalty. You don't have to have an underlying medical issue. It's a completely personal choice. So you have three days after the end of the voting. Um, I think the feeling is, and you touched on it, this, the hockey culture, I think we'll see very few players who take that option. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, part of it is that the, 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 the this is the start of, uh, of the very end of the process for hockey, unlike baseball, which is at the start of their season. This is a chance to win a Stanley Cup. So you have 24 teams who are in the mix right now. Um, I think that is a motivating factor in players maybe putting aside concerns. I also think the fact that when you get to the conference final portion of the playoffs, so when you get to the final four, there is a mechanism that will allow families to come into the, uh, it looks like it'll be Edmonton, into the the bubble in Edmonton for the conference final and the Stanley Cup final. And I think that's a real motivator for players who who are concerned about being separated from family for the long haul. And so I think that's a huge factor in um, maybe allaying some fears for players. Um, you know, if a player has a medical issue, if something is going on at home that they simply can't or don't want to be away, maybe you'll see a couple of those. But the people I've been talking to seem to indicate that um, they'll be surprised if there are, uh, if, if there's a kind of response that we've seen in baseball and hockey. I don't think it'll happen that way. Scott Burnside of The Athletic with us on 101 ESPN. And Scott writes at The Athletic about the new CBA. And you point out that the salary cap is going to remain flat for 21-21. It will be an $81.5 million salary cap. As far as the Blues, who obviously won the Stanley Cup because of their defensive depth, and they have Alex Petrangelo coming up on unrestricted free agency. Scott, do you believe that the flat salary cap is a positive for the Blues in trying to keep Petro or a negative? Well, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably in general a negative for, for any of the teams who are at or near the salary cap, and there are a lot of them. Um, the flat cap may, is going to make it increasingly difficult 
to keep your top players. And, you know, the opposite side of the coin, if you're a top potential unrestricted free agent like Alex Petrangelo or Taylor Hall or Tory Krug, uh, this obviously is not a great time to be hitting the marketplace. But I, I think what I, you know, in, in talking to people about this new CBA, um, this is about repairing um, what is going to be considerable damage done to the game. And, it's a, you know, the damage is being done to the economies around the world and certainly in the United States. Um, Hockey is no different from that. And so I think what this new CBA does is it makes the best of a very, very difficult situation. Uh, it's going to make it difficult for teams like the St. Louis Blues. I was talking to somebody about the Toronto Maple Leafs the other day. Um, teams that have high-end talent and have players who um, you know, are coming to the ends of their contracts, it's going to be difficult for them to, to keep them. And it may force more creativity. Maybe it's in the term of the series of shorter-term deals to keep players in the fold in the hopes that in three or four years we do see the salary cap start to rise and then players can take, um, you know, be, be paid at a level that they might have expected to have been paid a year or two ago. Um, but it is going to make things very uncomfortable for teams and players moving forward. Um, but listen, the reality is it's an extremely uncomfortable time, and I think that this document probably uh, it is the best uh, of a worst-case scenario, uh, even though it's going to make it difficult for teams really at the top of the heap like the St. Louis Blues. Scott Burnside, we always appreciate your insight. And, uh, man, we're all rooting for hockey to be back on uh, at the end of this month, right at the beginning of August, just like you are. We'll talk to you soon. Anytime. Take care. Scott Burnside of The Athletic on 101 ESPN. And I'm really intrigued by the Petro situation. I He was such an important element, maybe the most important element of the Blues' success last year, aside from Biddington. He was their best skater. He was their, in the playoffs last year. He was their best player. And the Blues are built on quality depth on defense. Mm-hmm. And he's the key to that. But if you're going to keep him, we go back to what we talked about with Patrick Mahomes. You can't keep everybody. Right. And so whether that includes for next year, uh, a guy like Jake Allen not being on the roster or buying out a Steen or later on not being able to keep a Pareko or a Schwartz, it's a really difficult decision for Doug Armstrong and the Blues to make. But I wonder if, because of the flat cap, the Blues might be able to do kind of a bridge deal at the age of 30 with Petro and get him for two or three years at a price like $8.5 million a year. And maybe that's what they can offer and offer him an opt-out or whatever if sure. they're even allowed in the NHL after a couple of years, if if the revenues come back. It's going to be a really creative move. If the Blues can keep him, it's going to have to take a lot of creativity. And I don't wonder if, given everything that's happened, if he's more willing to be open to a creative deal. Right. Hey, especially going through what we've gone through for the last three months yep. with three triplets, three young kids, and having family around yep. like he does, man, it, I would think that that would make a difference. But who are we to tell Petro what to do with his life? It's, no. it's, it's his life, his contract, and he can do with it what he wants. But you do, you wonder what, if any difference today is than three months ago. Well, if you were thinking before, he could potentially be looking at the landscape of the deals that might be presented to him, and those deals might look completely different 
certain factors like having family nearby, being the captain of an organization that respects you and that you feel comfortable in, knowing that you're in a position to win, knowing that you're in an organization that is going to make winning a priority and that isn't afraid to make the tough moves. You know, if you're a part of that, you have to feel comfortable saying, hey, if I take a creative deal here, I'm while I might be sacrificing a few dollars at the end of the day, look at all this other stuff that I'm gaining. And I don't know. If Petro, here's his personality. He he listens, but he doesn't listen when they're talking hockey. If Alex Petrangelo stays a blue, he's golden in St. Louis forever. If he goes to Toronto, the only way he can be golden is to win the Stanley Cup. Otherwise, he and Tavares and Austin Matthews and that whole group, unless they win a Stanley Cup, they're going to be a failure. He will always be a success. He'll always be a hero in St. Louis. I don't know that that plays a role, but that's, from my perspective, part of what he sh- he could be looking at. He was the first guy in franchise history to hoist the cup. That's a pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. Yeah. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over with Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac coming your way at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. Danny Mack and Scoops with Danny Mack coming up at the top of the hour. We got word early this morning that today's workouts for the Cardinals have been delayed after yesterday's workout was canceled because of the failure of the Cardinals to get uh, the testing results back from their COVID-19 testing. Danny Mack is with us. I hope they can start practicing again soon. Yeah, I don't know if it's failure of the Cardinals or you'd say failure no, of just, MLB, right? Yeah, just yeah. failure to get the results yeah. back, yeah. Because who else was it? It was the Cardinals had to cancel. Washington. Yeah, Washington. Mike Rizzo was uh, taken to task by the uh, commissioner. And then who else was it? Uh, Oakland. Astros. Astros. Oakland. Houston. Oakland. I, I think Oakland hasn't even had, or is it Oakland that has not had a full? First one was yesterday. So they, they finally did get a yeah. workout in. Yeah. Okay. Didn't the and Angels the say Angels, that Tester didn't even show Tester up? Tester didn't even show up. I mean, what, what are we now? And, and Ryan Broad days. is saying, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have? 17 days until opening day, right? Right. 24th. Yeah, 24th. For the so, Cardinals, yeah. Se- was that 17 days? Yeah, today's the 7th. As you can tell, I'm pretty locked in for opening day. <laughs> Just do it by football. Uh, yeah. So 24th, it's 17 plus 7, that's 24. I did say yesterday to you guys, and I I stick by this, meaning yesterday part of the 24 hours, so we're in the midst of this. I I feel the next, so I said 24 to 72 hours really being, I'll add another day to it where it's going to be critical for Major League Baseball to get this done. So I I think the players, at least if I was a player, I I would think that they say, okay, we're we're here. We're we're giving it a shot now. Let's see if this can become more efficient. And it looks like they're going to try to open up at least another testing facility to get this more efficient, quicker turnaround. And if we can have that happen, then let's do it. I I would also say this. Look, 
if you're in the opt-out camp, which I've said from day one, I mean months ago when we were when I started doing my show, if you opt out, I'm fine with it. You have personal mm-hmm. reasons, you got family members, you're compromised, no problem. I seriously have no problem with that. But if you opt in and this thing continues to go forward, I think now if you opt in, you got to just say I'm in, and let's the train's got to go forward. You, you can't be just saying. Right. Well, I mean, we're doing this, and and this got to be the, the blah, blah. just let's go. Like you're in, let's move it forward. Try to be positive, but put on the positive face. The boat is going this way, the train's moving this way, and let's go. And I totally get like Nick Markakis being afraid. He sees a guy like Freeman, and Freeman's wife said I, he never gets. Yes, he got on the phone with him, didn't he? Yeah, and uh, who? Free, by the way, Freeman, Freeman said struggling. he's feeling better today. Yeah, so I, I totally get that. If, if there's a level of fear. Of going into it, I have no qualms with players that opt out because, first and foremost, you want yourself and your family to feel safe. And if they don't, then you've made a ton of money and you have the right to opt out. That's part of the deal. But Sean Doolittle yesterday, while I respect his comments and his stance on certain things, but you have opted in, okay? Mm -hmm. Now you've made your statement but I'm I'm done hearing it. So you've opted in, yeah. and now it's time. To, you you either you're on the boat, or you're on that train, and you're on the bus, and it's moving forward, and it's time to just let's go. Okay, I, I've heard enough. Let's go. You're either on or you're off. I, I'm I'm just that's where I'm at now. You're either on the bus or you're not. So let's go. Let's move forward. Let's be positive. This is what it is. And if you don't want to be a part of it, that's fine, but that's enough. And just one little thing, being positive. I think that's the key because we're trying to bring baseball back for the country. And we don't... For a myriad of reasons. And this is supposed to be, Michelle, a distraction from the COVID-19 issue. It should be. But if I was told I was going to get on the bus and there would be seatbelts and then I get on the bus and the seatbelts aren't functioning correctly... I would have something to say about it. But that's my point, is that now that if they're going to start getting this thing right, mm-hmm. to your point, again, that he made his point yesterday. Right. Now let's go. Let's let's move the bus forward. And th- yes, there are going to be questions that come about with this, and they're going to be constantly asked, well, what was the turnaround on your test? Uh, are the procedures done properly? Do you feel that this is going in a fluid manner that you were promised when you originally signed up to do this? And that's valid. I get it. But if it starts going in that fluid manner and you feel comfortable, then let's talk baseball. Let's move this thing forward. And there are bumps in the road, clearly, in the first four or five days of this. But once it gets going, and it does seem like it can be done smoothly, hopefully, fingers crossed, then let's let's move it forward. Let's let's take this in the positive direction. Let me tell you something. Do you this, guys agree with that or not? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think that it, it should be a distraction. And again, I respect his comments. Don't get I, me wrong. I do too. Yeah, but it's and he is basically he's saying that what we're trying to do is we're trying to wade through this pandemic when nobody else can, mm-hmm. and, and it is difficult. But it's at the same time, extremely difficult. It's uh, I'm with you in that it is. Uh, and I understand his platform, and he uses his platform in a great way. But COVID nineteen now is, you know, they, they've uh, kind of like the government put it in the in their rearview mirror. They're moving forward now. They're they're going to live with it. I do think this season can be really cool for this reason. We aren't going to see teams from 
the West or the East until the playoffs. So when you get to the playoffs, the Dodgers are going to be new for the Cardinals, the Nationals, the Braves, the Phillies. The Braves might be compromised now if the, uh, in terms of making the playoffs. But I love the fact that we're going to get to the playoffs and it's going to be like the World Series used to be. The American League and the National League and you haven't seen each other all year long. I wish it was like that anyway. It's pretty cool. I, I wish, um, first of all, I understand why we have interleague play. I mean, I, when we have it in the season, I don't know if you guys feel this way. First of all, when we have interleague play, I used to love it when we'd see Ken Griffey Jr. or I got to see Derek Jeter or I went to Yankee Stadium or I went to Fenway Park. That was the cool part of it. I didn't really like going to Tampa Bay. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't think it was a lot of fun. But there were the elements in, interspersed with it that I enjoyed. I did, though, miss going to Dodger Stadium a couple of times or the Dodgers coming here a couple of times. But I did like the allure of not having seen the American League, and I kind of miss that. Mm -hmm. So that part will be cool. I know a lot of people are pointing to the schedule and saying, well, the Cardinals have to go to Wrigley Field, and they say, you know, what is it, seven out of ten times. Mm -hmm. And, And there are some that have said to me, well, What's the difference? There's no home field advantage. I I tell you what, I think we're missing the boat on home field advantage this year more than ever. You know what the home field advantage is? The comfort level of truly being in your bed at home. Yeah, that's true. I mean, at home during a pandemic. That is the home field advantage. Now, in baseball terms of having the final at bat, that's an advantage. Knowing the, the, the nooks and crannies of your home ballpark, that's an advantage. But how about truly being comfortable... I mean, truly being yeah, comfortable as a point. human human being in your bed at home with your family, that's home field that's advantage. A, that's a good point. You know? Yeah. Michelle, you won't remember this, but maybe you've been told. But back during the Whitey Ball era, for the couple of weeks leading up to the Cardinals coming into Wrigley, the Cubs wouldn't cut the grass on the infield. Oh, yeah. So that the ball would move so and slow. And water it down. Yeah. Oh, my and water down the And with, water down the, the base pass yep. like every inning yep. so to slow the Cardinals down. Yeah. Did it work? No. no. Of course not, no. right? No. In 84, it did. I remember being in the dugout one time with Tony, and we looked across the diamond, and this is before they leveled the infield, and you literally, if you were in the dugout before they did all the renovations at Wrigley Field, they had such a crown. It was an mm-hmm. old ballpark. I mean, it's still an old ballpark, obviously, but such a old design of the ballpark that the water would, the, the idea was that the water would kind of come off that crown and and wash and that's how they get rid of you know some of the rain you couldn't see the other side of the field Mm -hmm. literally could not see and that's why remember tony how he'd sit up on the top step of the dugout you couldn't see the other side of the field it was so high on the crown of the field wow i field for truly home field being at home i think maybe the biggest challenge right now right now and maybe it gets easier in these camps and i don't know if you guys agree with this but I think maybe the biggest challenge for these coaches and these managers as they uh, go through their summer camp, and and maybe it it gets easier when the guy puts on a glove and they start playing catch and there's actual baseball, but making a player just feel comfortable. Like going to a ballpark and they they get their testing and they they get into the clubhouse and you kind of sit, am I six feet? Am I socially distanced? Where's my face mask? Um Man, I wonder if this guy has got COVID. Does he have COVID? Um, who's who's healthy? Who's not? Where's that guy been? I mean, seriously, you think uh, because it's got to be front and center because you're asked about it constantly. They're reading about it. They're talking about it. You can't turn on the TV and not think about it. 
And I wonder the challenge for Mike Schilt to get these guys just to think about their actual job of playing baseball and getting them to feel comfortable to focus on the, the task at hand, which is very difficult and should be secondary. Their health should be first. But just thinking about playing baseball, like how hard is that? You guys thought about that? I mean, we we talk about playing baseball and who should be the DH and who's your starting five and, you know, Tyler O'Neill in left field. That's the fun part of what we do. But really, the idea of just getting his players to be focused on playing the game and being actually comfortable walking into the ballpark to feel comfortable enough to go play the game and don't think about that and focus on baseball. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think about that. Well, Matt Carpenter, when he did his Zoom meeting, talked about that, about how when he's on the field, it feels the same. It yeah. feels like baseball again. And I think to your point, getting on the field might be the release for them. It might right. be their actual escape. Their job might be mm-hmm. the escape. I, I wonder if uh, yeah. maybe the approach to take is to be respectful of the people that would be most concerned. Because if you're not concerned, you you aren't worried when you walk in, right? So if you're Mike Schilt, you, you take the approach of, okay, what could a guy be most concerned about? And that's the way you approach life in the clubhouses is, okay, we want everybody to be concerned about the guy who would be most concerned. It's kind of like going into a doctor's office and you just have to make sure that everybody is as comfortable as they can possibly be. And I think the best way to do that, there are people that are inherently going to be comfortable, that aren't worried about anything, and there are going to be people that are really, really concerned. So gauge your approach to the person that's going to be most concerned. Yeah, I I think that's really hard. I, I really do. I mean, you know, Mike is really, all these guys are so detailed-oriented to to the point that Mike Schilt going into spring training has been thinking about what he's going to say in spring training at 9 o'clock on the first day of spring training since probably November 5th. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got it mapped out. He and Ollie and, and Stubby and all those things that um, I know for a fact, because I talked to Mike, um, I, I, I can't remember, it was probably three, four months ago, but... He was having Zoom calls literally like a week after they got shut down. And he started doing, you know, the pitchers and relievers and middle infield guys. And I, I mean, just constant, constant, like conference calls, Zoom calls, all these things. Where other teams were shutting it down, he was just thinking about, okay, how, how am I going to communicate? Because he loves to communicate with guys and open-ended stuff. That he's had this in mind of how am I going to stay open in communication with my guys to make sure that my players are first and foremost. And he did that when he was a special education teacher with families. That's what he did. He did that when he was doing coaching with high school kids and doing camps and college and then into the minor leagues and the pros. Um, I, I just think it's really difficult to try to, especially when you're dealing with some of these guys that are, have been kids that grew into young men that are now still young men, but adults that have families that are hearing all about this. The testing isn't right. Am I bringing it home to my wife? Am I bringing it home to my mom or dad that are maybe with me Mm -hmm. and my children? And what am I doing here? And I'm, and Mike is probably saying to himself, these guys aren't thinking about throwing a three, two slider. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And how am I how am I going to get that guy to think about that when he is in this inter-squad game? That is a hard thing to do. Yeah. 
So, but he's a great communicator, and I, I, if there is a guy to do it, it's probably him. He's pretty good. Yeah. He's pretty good. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. Always good to talk to you, sir. Okay. Uh, I've got one of my favorite people in the world coming up. I'm going to go to Kansas City. Well, I'm not going to Kansas City, but via little Skype or whatever. But it's uh, Bob Kendrick. Oh, nice. Good. So if you are a baseball fan, this is... So I figured I, I just got to get away from all the negativity for a mm-hmm. while. So Bob is the uh, curator, if you will... Uh, historian. Do you know who Bob is? Mm-hmm. So Bob is the, uh, he runs the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He has made this his life's work um, and did it with the great, late great Buck O'Neill. And Bob has become a lifelong friend of mine. I met him probably 20 years ago. And um, uh, I'm going to have a long conversation with him. So I, in our current climate of our country, I always tell people, if you are a fan of history and if you have a son or daughter that not only if they love baseball or they just want to find out more about what our history was like um, and how it's changed and hopefully will change and continue to change for the better, you need to take them to the Negro Leagues yep. Baseball Museum. So it's a visit with Bob Kendrick. All right. Looking forward to that. All right. That is Danny Mack. Thanks to our producer engineer today, Tanner Hendrickson, doing great work. Michelle, as always, great work. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And for all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow. No, it's great. No problem. Uh, Till tomorrow at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.